The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Yo, 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 what up? This is Rocky Asuka Romero of Chaos, and you are listening to Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcast, keeping it strong style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcast, keeping it strong style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get-go, boy Yeah, from Tampa Bay to the Tokyo Dome This is Keeping It Strong Style With your hosts, Jeremy Donovan And the young boy, Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The ace of podcasts on the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here with the young boy, Josh Smith on today's show, we're reviewing Lions Break Collision Episode 4, Sengoku Lord, the first two nights of summer struggle, answering your questions, and covering all the latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing to the Social Suplex Podcast Network or to Keeping a Strong Style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts and columns over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tees store, prowrestlingtees.com slash socialsuplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong Style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology development to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code SUPLEX at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code SUPLEX. Young boy, we got a lot of New Japan talk about today, man. Absolutely, bro. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to myself, the young boy Joshua Smith. I'm joined by Jeremy Donovan, my ever-faithful co-host, and you are listening to Keeping It Strong Style, the motherfucking best New Japan <laughs> podcast on the entire planet. And uh, I, I know she didn't ask me how I'm doing this week, but I've got an answer for you. You ready? Right. How you doing this week? This is how I'm doing. Did you hear that? Yeah, you pop pop the uh, Corona. Because we about to get it popping up in here. Let's do this thing. <laughs> yeah, so we got a ton of uh, action here to cover. We had Lines Break Collision Episode 4, Sengoku Lord. We have the Summer Struggle Tour that just popped off. And, of course, we watched all that great action using the NJPW EXT, the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and shared playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much, much more. It will take your NJPW World experience to the next level. You can visit njpwext.us today for details and get your New Japan experience uh, taken to the next level using Danny's NJPWEXT. 
Yeah, absolutely. If you're, uh, you know, if you're not using the New Japan Pro Wrestling extension, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> Literally, if you're listening to this show and you hear us uh, talking about how great this thing is, you deserve, uh, you know, to yourself to give this thing a shot because it. Literally, is the best thing that's happened to New Japan since they created the world. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, first on the docket here, we have Lions Break Collision Episode 4. So this was the, the big season finale of Lions Break Collision. They had a, a jam-packed episode with uh, four matches instead of two. I know last week we thought we were just getting... Uh, two episode, two matches, and then an episode five. But they combined everything to just one big episode four with four matches, and of course, you know the big blow off to the Cobb and Frederick's feud. Uh, but the show opened up. We had a uh, Tom. You know, Wall- when when we when we started this episode, I wasn't sure what way we were going. There's a lot of different ways we could have done this, and I thought to myself, you know what? We just cut out the BS. Start with the thing everybody wants to hear about the thing everybody wants to know about the most important show of the weekend. And that's exactly what you were thinking. We are so in sync lines, break collision episode four, the show of the weekend. <laughs> yeah, man. Lines break collision has quickly become one of the favorites, uh, among wrestling fans, especially I know on Twitter. I see a lot of people every week have been looking forward to lines, break collision. Uh, yeah, again, just, uh, you know, echoing my sentiments from earlier. It's like, if you're listening to the show and you're not using the extension, there's something wrong. If you're listening to the show and you're not listening or uh, watching Lions Break Collision episode four or any of the episodes, like I said the other week, I mean, what is it? Uh, there's only been four episodes, right? So, you know, basically an hour. I mean, four hours. I mean, dude, that's like, I don't know what. How, how many evil matches is that? Uh, let's see. I think you could watch all four lines break uh, shows in maybe like four or five evil matches. Yeah, it's like four or five evil matches. That's like one whole night. Like, do your like pretty simple, right? <laughs> uh, so let's start off talking about the first match. So we had a second matchup here for Filthy Tom Lawler. He took on Young Lion Alex Coglin, defeated him eight minutes and five seconds. Via a ground octopus. Uh, what do you think about this matchup? Um, I thought this was interesting. Um, you know, all four of these episodes were shot, um, you know, on location one evening uh, earlier in the month. We kind of reported about it. And my thinking was that they were going to try and, like, create the illusion, at least, that the this was shot over several different nights. And they did do that. Where they messed up is that every performer is wearing the exact same gear. Now you can kind of get away with that if it's Russ Taylor or Danny Limelight, but when it's Tom Lawler's blue faux jean Daisy Dukes, <laughs> there is no getting like, there's no like forgetting. Like it is absolutely like the exact same gear. I wish he might have like brought a change of gear for that purpose, just to kind of like break my suspension of disbelief, you know? Yeah. But other than that, uh, I thought this match was pretty good. Um, it wasn't anything special necessarily, but for a guy like Alex Coughlin that we are uh, pretty high on, um, I thought it was a good learning experience for him to kind of get in there with Tom Lawler. Uh, similar to the match that uh, Filthy had the other week with uh, Rocky, uh, at least in style, um, I thought Alex 
didn't look out of place against a guy like Filthy. Uh, I, I thought it was a good match, eight minutes in and out. Uh, the, the great thing is at the very end there, they gave Alex Coughlin a lot of opportunities to like a lot of near falls, which I, you get that a lot in uh, Young Lions matches, and that's great. But the difference here was like it wasn't like he was getting all these opportunities and then Tom Lawler put him away in emphatic fashion. It was like he was on a roll and then Tom Lawler kind of just rolled him up uh, yeah. and, and, and caught him, which almost kind of was smarter in a sense. Like it made it look like Alex Coughlin was – not that far off from a world champion like Tom Lawler, which I thought was a nice little touch. Yeah, there's definitely some solid grappling in this match. And, you know, Filthy Tom is a great job of, you know, using some modern jiu-jitsu techniques and mixing that with his pro wrestling and a lot of kind of the, the catch MMA style. is a great job of kind of blending that together in his pro wrestling style. And like you mentioned, yeah, I thought he, um, you know, made Coughlin look really good here. And, in fact, you know, they had Coughlin, uh, you know, going – Toe to toe with a former MMA, you know, UFC cage fighter, it definitely kind of you know, elevated Coglin's stock there for a second, and had some great. It was a great exploiter that he hit in the middle of the match, and yeah, he looked uh, really good here. Now, have you seen Filthy live before or no? What um, live wrestling? Yeah, no, I haven't. So I've only seen him the one time uh, in New Orleans against Walter, which was pretty awesome. If you guys haven't seen that match. Uh, from the original blood sports show i'd highly re- that was actually the match of that uh show even i even have it higher than suzuki and uh matt riddle which is saying something um but we're both pretty accustomed to him but in different ways like i've seen filthy more so like his mma career i would say i've seen him wrestle but i'm not as familiar um i think on your end though with your fandom of like mlw you're a little bit more um familiar with his body of work Obviously, we know he's a good worker. What were your thoughts on his promo here after the match was over? And then, um, you know, what has your experience been seeing him on the mic in different capacities? Yeah, so his promo here after the match, he's called uh, Coglin a piece of trash. Says you can, says you just met your daddy tonight, young boy. He says he finished by saying Coglin got the spanking he deserved. And so that's it's, it's kind of a typical um, Tom Muller type of promo. He's typically a heel and is kind of like douchey kind of jock kind of character he normally plays yeah. uh, the beginning of his mlw run he was a baby face but eventually turned heel and had that kind of same kind of promo style and usually in other indies where i see him he's typically a heel and like i mentioned that kind of a heel kind of dick kind of cocky almost jock boyish kind of promo style and you know kind of in your face and you know saying stuff like yeah you know you got the spanking you deserve kind of stuff like that so i think that I, promo style I, fits him I was a little surprised here. Uh, I mean, you know, us being subscribers to Observer, I've heard him, you know, podcast for a long time and things. And he's a very articulate guy. I've seen him, you know, do tons of interviews like in MMA. I was not really that impressed with this uh, with this interview. Um, granted, it's right after a match. It's, you know, there's not a huge story, you know, leading into it or anything like that. And, uh you also don't necessarily need to be the greatest, uh, you know, Mike, you know, talker in the world uh, when it comes to New Japan. But I think when they try to do this expansion into America, it's going to be more uh, important than people realize. And uh, I wasn't really that impressed here. So I didn't know if like this was kind of just like because he had a like it was right after a match and it was just sort of an impromptu thing or, 
You know, if maybe you you kind of thought that he was better on the mic, say in MLW, I don't know. Yeah, I think when he's given more time and a little bit more direction, I think he's better. Like you mentioned, so it was like straight after the match and just kind of you know you know how those backstage interviews work. They just kind of say whatever. But I feel like when he's given more direction and given more time to kind of flush some things out, I think he comes off better. Okay. Yep. Uh, so. Uh, that was a good opening match. Uh, the next match after that, we had a sing- singles action between uh, Mysterioso Jr. and uh, Danny-, Danny Limelight, two guys that we have seen on previous week's episodes. Yeah, uh, we, yeah we've seen both of these guys. We saw Danny Limelight against TJP and Mysterioso. Who did Mysterioso face? He faced uh, Clark Connors or did he face Coughlin? Man, I don't really remember, to be honest with you. I know he didn't win, right? I'm pretty sure neither of them won. No, I think Mysterioso won. No, maybe he lost. I can't remember now. But either way. We, I, I honestly can't remember. <laughs> but either way, we saw both of them. And Mysterioso is a guy that we've seen um, live in the uh, New Beginning in USA tour that happened at the beginning of this year uh, here in Tampa. And you know, we've seen him on other you know U.S. shows. He hasn't been to Japan yet. And, you know, I, I've been trying to, you know, Give him a chance because I feel like he hasn't been given the best situations. He's on these, you know, small U.S. tours. He's usually not given a lot of time. And I don't know. I really haven't been, like, blown away by him. And maybe that's still, he still hasn't been given, you know, a big matchup or a program or a longer experience of time. But I feel for somebody that's named Mysterioso and is supposed to be a luchador, he really doesn't do a lot of flashy stuff. And he really doesn't grab me at all. Um, you know, I probably have a different take here. Mysterioso Jr. is a bigger, uh, a bigger luchador. He reminds me more of like, say, an Ultimo Guerrero than he does uh, Rey Mysterio. So, um, he's been perfectly fine, but somewhat forgettable. You know, like right. we don't remember who who he wrestled. Um, I remember it being fine. Um, I didn't think it was bad or anything. I, I mean, I just don't really remember. Now, on the flip side of things, Danny Limelight. He's someone that was impressive in his match with Rocky Romero. Or no, it was TJP. Yeah, TJP. Yeah. Uh, I thought he was very impressive in that match and, uh, you know, did a lot with his time. And I was a little surprised here. They had Mysterioso Jr. uh, defeat uh, Danny Limelight, four minutes and 43 seconds. Um, One thing I was thinking, because some of these early matches were pretty short. I know we've said all of them have been like sub 10 minutes, but. They usually do two two matches in an episode, and they did four here. I thought there might be a chance this even could have been a clipped match or edited, uh, you know. But I didn't see any evidence of that. Uh, so either they knew they were going to do all four of these on one episode, and they went short, or they edited it down uh, to kind of accommodate for the time. But either way, uh, this wasn't anything like special. Both guys looked fine. But there wasn't really a lot they could do with, you know, four minutes, basically. Right. The highlight of the match was Danny Limelight. He did a crazy tornado dive to the outside. It looks pretty raw. I don't remember it, to be honest with you. <laughs> but yeah, that was a Cap- cool. Captivating journalism. like. <laughs> but yeah, that was a cool dive. You know, nice little sub under five minute match, but not much for both of those guys to do. You can tell the difference between me and Jeremy. He he remembers the moves. I remember who won. <laughs> moves, <laughs> baby. <laughs> uh, so that brings us to the next match. We had uh, Clark Connors teaming up with the great TJP to defeat the team of Rocky Romero and Russ Taylor. Nine minutes, 47 seconds via the detonation kick. 
Uh, hot take. I thought this was the best match of the night and the best match of Lions Break Collision in general. That's how impressive I like how impressed I was with this tag match. Yeah, the work here was really, really good. Um, you know, Russ Taylor is a guy that personally I'd never heard of before this series, but apparently he's been on the California indie scenes. He was early PWG. I think he might have done some all pro wrestling in San Francisco, but I've never heard of this guy, and he's been grinding away on the indie for years now. But he's a solid worker, bro. He's so he's not just a solid worker; like he is so composed. Like his poise, his timing, uh, everything he does is crisp. It flows well. Like he doesn't look out of place whatsoever. I mean, look at the guys that they have him in there with. Uh, you know, Clark Connors, obviously, he's from the dojo system. He's really great. But, you know, TJP and Rocky Romero are two of those guys from the original L.A. dojo. World traveled, you know, literally been everywhere. And Russ Taylor looked every bit as good as or even better <laughs> to some degree than them. Like, it's kind of crazy. Um, yeah, and, and all four of these guys were incredible. Not to take anything away from any of them. Like, uh I didn't expect to like this match as, as much as I did. And like, I watched it several times because I was like, am I just like getting like dragged in by a few things I like? And I was like, nah, like this match was really incredible. The work was so beautiful. Like everything just like, they told a really one of the like better tag stories I've seen in 29 or 2020. Yeah. Uh, Russ Taylor, I mean, all actually, all four got all four of these guys were really great in this match, and it was just silky smooth wrestling from all four guys. Like everything was smooth, all the transitions, you know, the the tag spots, you know, cutting people off, and you know, there's a, a little mini story in there, you know, especially if you you know really pay attention to New Japan. Clark Connors and TJP are kind of an established team, somewhat. They competed in the um, Super Junior Tag League last year during the Power Struggle Tour, and they've teamed up several times throughout these um, U.S. tours last year and this year, so they have experience teaming together. And this was the first time that Rocky Romero and Russ Taylor were teaming together, and you kind of saw some miscommunications, and you kind of saw Russ, Russ Taylor slowly losing his patience with Rocky throughout the match. Yeah, and, you know, they uh, they brought that up on the commentary that uh, – <laughs> that TJP and Connors had teamed together. And I also had no recollection of that. I was like, they were in the junior tag league together. Like all I remember is Rapunga 3k one. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember anything else. Um, but anyway, so yeah, another great, uh, part of the story, something else, uh, along with the miscommunication between Rocky Romero and Russ Taylor, Rocky Romero is winless uh, in his entire lines break collision bid. Like he lost on the first night to um, uh, in the tag match. He actually was pinned by uh, Carl Fredericks. And then when he had the match with Tom Lawler, he was defeated. And I think this was this his third or fourth match. Was he in every single? No, I so, can't remember. So this was his third one. So his third loss. Yeah. And, you know, I was thinking, <laughs> I really was thinking Rocky Romero and Russ Taylor are picking up the win here just because, you know, my New Japan logic is like kind of going off. And I'm like, well, there's Clark Connors. He's a young line. And it's like, sure, Russ Taylor could lose being sort of like a, a, a local indie guy. But I just kind of thought Rocky was going to get a win here. And then, uh, you know, he didn't. 
And so that continued like a, a story where Rocky remains winless. And it's kind of surprising because, you know, um, this time of the year, he would have been like, haven't already gone through the uh, Super Juniors. He had a really great Super Juniors last year. And, uh, you know, any other number of opportunities, who knows what he would have done this year. And that all kind of went away. Now he's like on the downside. It's kind of like a, a total 180 from what his 2019 was like. Yeah, it's. I feel like, yeah, maybe they're trying to tell some kind of comeback story or rebuilding story for him because um, he was, you know, training very hard for Super Juniors and then obviously COVID happened. And so, um, and it plus, you know, he's in the office, he's doing a lot of stuff, he's working on the music. So, you know, and they mentioned that on commentary, you know, maybe he's, you know, his focus is not set on in-ring. So they're tr- kind of telling the story here of Rocket needing to get his focus back. And, you know, uh, post-match, he had a promo talking about his losing streak and then Russ Taylor kind of stormed in and confronted him and, blamed Rocky for the loss and uh, pretty much was calling Rocky um, a young lion and uh, kind of big leaned him and uh, walked off. Here's the great thing about this. You know, Clark Connors, there's no way he could have picked. I mean, we kind of doubted him, but then once you put in, put it into perspective that he was teaming with the great TJP, I mean, how could he have possibly lost? I mean, this is a man who has never learned anything from anybody in his entire career. That's right. TJP has been <laughs> in the ring with Daniel Bryan, Samoa Joe, Kota Ibushi, <laughs> your Zack Sabre Juniors. Um, he, he's been in the ring of Ultimo Dragon. He's been in, in the ring with so many legends. But every time TJP gives these men a little piece of knowledge, he schools these men when he's in the ring with them. Bro, he's basically just like, like yeah, like you said, like... <laughs> He's taking them to task every single time he gets to the ring. Uh, TJP is just like a virtuoso of wrestling. Like, he's never learned from anybody. Uh, if you guys don't know what we're talking about, this past week, uh, someone, like, was tweeting at TJ, TJ Perkins, was like, you know, who's, like, the one guy in your career that you've ever met that, like, once you got in the ring with them, you realized how good they were, that there's levels to this, and, you know, kind of inspired you to, like, learn more and that they could teach you. And he was like, unfortunately, I've just never experienced that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still waiting to meet that person. (laughs) It's like this man, this man, before he even signed up for wrestling school, you know, before he ever went to Inoki's dojo, like this man was already a complete and perfect wrestler, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And he got the win. How absurd that sounds. (laughs) Yeah, and he got the win here using the detonation kick. He also cut a uh, promo post-match, you know, talking about him being undefeated on lines of break collision and uh, praising his partner, Clark Connors. Yeah, um, really high recommendations here. Now, I think for um, – there's no doubt that either this or the main event was the top match of the night. What were, I mean, what did you prefer? Uh, I don't know. I, I feel like – the work was probably better in the tag match, but because Cobb and Fredericks had been built for these past, you know, three, four weeks, I think I, I just liked it a little bit more because of the build and kind of the story that they were telling with uh, Fredericks and Cobb. So basically this is Minoru Suzuki and Liger versus ELP and Osprey all over again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as far as the... Um, as, I mean, what would you probably have? Now, I know it's nine minutes, 47 seconds. Uh, there's no doubt it's one of the better matches of this uh, project that they've done. Uh, you know, where would you go with the star ratings in that one? Uh, I'm probably somewhere between like three and a half, three point seven five. 
That's exactly what I was thinking. Uh, I think it's hard to go higher than three and a half, honestly. But the wrestling was so good that it's like not necessarily unwarranted. But it, it, that might be a little a, a little bit of an overrate uh, to go three seven five. I don't know. But yeah, uh, I think I'm more yeah more three and a half. But I mean. All the same, three and a half, nine minutes, forty-seven seconds, and you know, last—that's the great thing about this this uh, show. Every week, we talk about how it gets better and better, and the matches keep improving. And I kind of thought it was gonna be hard for them to top Filthy and Rocky because I really enjoyed that match, but um, I thought they did it here. So yeah, really good. Uh, let's talk about the main event. Yeah, take us to it. So we have the long-awaited uh, grudge match between. Uh, the Alpha, Carl Fredericks, and Jeff Cobb. Yeah, so like we mentioned, this match has been built up throughout the whole Lions Break collision. We had you know, the, the big tag main event where Fredericks defeated um, Rocky and Cobb in a tag match, which led to a you know, post-match scrummage between those guys. And then we had the interview with Cobb and Kevin Kelly. Um, and then Cobb attacked uh, Fredericks and Connors after a tag match. And so this... Led to tonight the big final blow off. You know, Carl Fredericks graduated from Young Lion, had his colors. He's now the the Alpha Wolf. His first real big test, um, and and the and the dangling earring. Oh yeah, uh, dangling earring, <laughs> the, the tassels, all of it. Um, this was his first big singles test um, since graduating from the LA Dojo, the first graduate of the new LA Dojo. And overall, I thought it, it was a really good match. Um, you know, we, we sing Fredericks' praise all the time. Clearly, he was definitely a standout guy, and I thought he did um, a really good job in this match. Yeah, this was the, the one we were looking forward to. Um, you, you gave us the whole backstory there, uh, which I appreciate. And I thought the, the ring work here was very good. Um, I didn't think it was too much or too little. I think it was exactly what it needed to be, like – uh, these guys had a short feud. I mean, it wasn't like this was like a, uh, you know, uh, a blood feud that like, they're like going after, after each other's families or <laughs> think, or trying to put each other out of the sport or anything like that. But there's definitely like a very personal element here. Um, and just the fact that like Jeff Cobb out of everybody that's, uh, involved with lines break collision so far, he's probably the most kayfabe accomplished, in the current like uh, marketplace, you know, he's uh, the most marketable star. And so kind of matching up their top guy, Carl Fredericks against Jeff Cobb, like that's, uh, you know, it's a very attractive and appealing matchup there. And these guys went out there and they, uh, you know, they fought real hard. They, they're very stiff strikes, very athletic competition. Um, I thought both guys looked really good here. Um, good learning experience for a guy like Carl Fredericks, who, uh, we've seen him wrestle quite a few people, but I mean, this is like one of his first real big showcases, and it did in a, in a, a certain way. It reminded me a lot of what they were doing with Sh- uh, with Sh- uh, Shota Umino, uh, you know, the last couple years uh, with the Lions Break Project stuff over in Japan. And um, ultimately, Jeff Cobb, uh, you know, he caught Carl Fredericks toward the islands. Carl Fredericks tried to fight out of it. It almost looked like he was going to get out, and at the last minute, Jeff Cobb just cinched it in. Gave him the big spin and put him out for the one, two, three. And I thought the match was very, very good. I think I would still personally go just a smidge be- below Rocky and 
Tom for in-ring work, but you, like you mentioned, the story, the build, the personalities involved, this is like, this is the big match that they've been building to over the four weeks. Yeah, and we, we saw the, the dangling earring get knocked out <laughs> at one point in the match by a huge strike from Cobb. I uh, didn't notice that. Yeah, that thing went flying. <laughs> um, and also I noticed, too, it, it, even though you know, Cobb he definitely wasn't mailing it in, but I think part of the story of the match was you know Cobb was not using his full arsenal. We didn't see any suplexes yeah. until towards the end of the match where he's like, all right, now I have to turn it on. This guy is giving me a little bit more than I thought he was going to. Uh, towards the end is when we saw him you know, busting out some of the suplexes, that, that spinning back suplex he does, and then um, you know that pendulum suplex kind of thing. And so... Until he finally built up to the uh, the tour of the islands, yeah, he definitely uh, you know was taking Carl a little light early on, and that's sort of what I meant earlier on when I was like they didn't do too much or too little. It was exactly what was needed, and that's the story that they were telling is that like Jeff Cobb is this world traveled, you know, former champion and hero, and um, Carl Fredericks just a graduating young lion with a lot of potential, and he's here now, but he still needs to you know learn that like there are these obstacles in his way, guys like Jeff Cobb, who he's not quite to their level just yet. And Cobb knew that, but, uh, you know, his hubris almost got the best of him. There are several times where Carl was very close to defeating him mayor. I, th- I thought the match told a great story. It was good. You know, it was very good. And I think down the line, uh, there could be potential for, for, you know, a rematch. Yeah. Um, so after the match, Cobb backstage cut a promo, uh, I, I hated his promo afterwards. <laughs> In fact, I'll tell you this. The only guys who are cutting promos that I'm liking on these shows almost at all exclusively are the L.A. Dojo Young Lions, which is something I did not expect given the fact that they're all from, you know, Shibata's camp. Uh, not to, like, talk crap to him, but it's like I I just don't equate, like, great promos with him necessarily. Right. And they're all – now, granted, I wouldn't say any of them are blow-away promos, but – Compared to everyone else that I've seen, aside from maybe Rocky, they all were, like, really good. Yeah. So, yeah, for this Cobb promo, yeah, he praised Chibata in the training of the L.A. Dojo. He said that, um, you know, maybe he shouldn't call Fredericks a young line anymore because he's an alpha, but he's an alpha only in his pawn, um, not Cobb's. He said tonight was step one, and uh, the next time it would be part two. And then at the end of the broadcast, we got a teaser for a new well, Real quick, Cobb said one other thing that I hated. He said, you got to realize that I'm trying to make – build my name and make my mark. And I'm like, the fuck you mean? You're Jeff Cobb. You've been <laughs> in the fucking G1. You you beat Will Ospreay <laughs> in Madison Square Garden for the Never title. You were a double champion. How – like it just made me mad. Like – I know it sounds nitpicky, but I don't think that if you've done as much as Jeff Cobb has done, that you come out here and be like, I'm trying to make my, a name for myself. Bitch, you already made a name for yourself. You've got to come out there and be like, now you know who I am. You know what I mean? Right. Like, yes. it's already established who you are. You don't need to make a name for yourself. Your name is there. They need to learn and put some respect on his name, you know? Right. And especially, like you mentioned earlier, if you're looking at, you know, the quote unquote, you know, kayfabe accomplishments. You know, Jeff Cobb was probably the most accomplished guy on the whole roster they had for this Lions Break Collision. Yeah, bro. Like, Cobb is really great in a lot of ways, but I've I've never been a big fan of his promos. I hated that promo afterwards, and I'm like, dude, you're the fucking man. You need to come out here and say it, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, if I was a wrestler, that's what I'd be doing, you know? <laughs> uh, 
So after Cobb's promo, we had a teaser for what's coming next. A new show called NJPW Strong was announced. It will air every Friday night starting August 7th on NJPW World, same time, 10 p.m. Eastern. Bro, this is what happened. COVID hit and everyone's plans changed. And then, um, you know, New Japan was like, well, what do we do in America? And they're like, well, we were going to tour. You know, we were going to go to this section and remember they had that map oh yeah yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) and they're like ah wwe's not even touring anymore maybe we shouldn't do that ah you're right maybe we should get a tv show ding 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 (laughs) and they're like that's a great idea that might cost less and be way more effective uh by the way we've been saying this for a very long time (laughs) yeah (laughs) but um and then they're like all right cool so let's have a show well what are we going to call it well, Americans, they like adjectives. There's Monday Night Raw, there's SmackDown, Power, Dynamite, Dark. What will we be? Well, we're strong style. All right, cool. Then we will be strong. <laughs> <laughs> strong style show. Strong style show. And then they were like, uh, like, bro, I can't wait for like you know a couple months from now. People will be like, "What kind of wrestling you watch?" Uh, I watch some power, some dark, some strong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, did you catch? Did you catch uh, Raw? Nah, I was watching Strong. I you watch ca- SmackDown? Catching up on Strong, man. <laughs> nah, bro, I was catching up on Strong. It's been crazy. <laughs> it, it's kind of funny, but like you know, I talked a lot of crap about Dynamite. How ridiculous I thought that sounded. I still think it's actually, if you think about it, objectively, it is kind of a terrible name for a show. But it kind of just works now because it's a, it's an established name. And like as funny as Strong sounds, it actually isn't that bad in the marketplace. I just wish that all these wrestling companies would get away from like just having like, you know, a one word adjective to like describe <laughs> the name <laughs> of their show. Yeah. Uh, so we did have uh, two questions here about NJPW Strong. First from Rambo and Slam Pig. It says, is the NJPW Strong series supposed to be similar or the same as Lions Break Collision shows? If so, sign me up. Hope to see more of the U.S. talent as well. And then friend of the show, Dan Coffin, says, with the announcement of NJPW Strong and the success of Lions Collision, do you anticipate some of the wrestlers that are stuck in the U.S. will be making weekly appearances? Kenta, G.O.D., Jay White. Um, great question. So, I mean... The first thing is we don't really know what lines break uh, or what New Japan Strong is going to be. I would assume with their continued efforts to, uh, you know, emphasize and expand the L.A. Dojo that there's a very good chance that it'll probably be very similar. Um, I don't know if it's going to be pre-taped for multiple weeks the same way this was, although that might not be a bad idea. I thought that these shows were pretty successful, you know. Um, at the same time, they might want to have a more expansive sort of uh, concept for what they'd like to do with quote-unquote strong, you know. Especially if you want to create a, a sort of product that might be marketable to, say, a television buyer, you know, something you could put on TV. But I don't know if that's feasible in the current situation with COVID, you know. Right. Uh, uh the other thing, though, to kind of take into consideration is, um, and this goes into Dan's question, is right now, most, you know, the two big companies, AEW and WWE, they're, they're shooting almost everything in Florida, uh, you know, for business reasons based on, you know, 
where they're, you know, located and everything like that, with their headquarters and their training facilities. Uh, it seems like uh, New Japan's going to continue to do California. Um, right now, those are the t- top two leading states for COVID cases in the entire country. And it doesn't look like it's going to be slowing down anytime soon. So I don't know how feasible it is for guys like Jay White or Kenta or G.O.D. or anyone else who's on the West Coast, especially here in Florida, to go all the way to California. It's, pro- it's probably not even really realistic or possible right now. Right. Well, I mean, we, we're seeing guys like the Young Bucks and Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy travel from California to Florida every week. They're doing two tapings in one week. So if they are doing a, a set for of, now, yeah, if they're doing a set of tapings for NJPW Strong, I think that could work out. You fly the Florida guys over there, they stay there for you know two three days. They film a bunch of content, and then they fly back, and then you know come back a month later to film more stuff, depending on how things are going. But I definitely think it's yeah, you need to get stuff in the can. Yeah, I don't know everything um, as far as the restrictions and everything like that go, but. It's getting pretty bad. Uh, it doesn't sound like Florida is going to really change too much or take any action, but I know California is. So I don't know how much longer even, say, AEW is going to be able to do that because California has been pretty hard line, like hardcore when it comes to the way that they've dealt with this as well. And unfortunately, like they're also having cases explode. So, yeah, I don't know if that's even going to continue for AEW, honestly. Yeah. Um, but the one thing to note, and Dan uh, brought us up in our, our group thread, you know, Jay White, he posted the teaser uh, 725 on its Instagram story in an airplane. He did not show up at Sengoku Lord. So one has to think maybe he was on a flight to California to film for NJPW Strong. Uh, I was thinking that if he's, um, you know, committed to getting back to New Japan or if they need him, I mean, he might have just gone to New Zealand, and he might be quarantining and preparing to go over to Japan. That was my thought. Yeah, I mean, it, it could literally be either or. Uh, I, 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 My only thinking is, like, if they really want New Japan Strong to be a big deal, then yes, you might want to include a guy like Jay White. He's the perfect guy. But if it's going to stay a low-level show like the way it has been with these types of guys, I don't know if you – I don't know if it's a good enough investment to send a guy like Jay White. Uh, I guess it really just depends on your business plans and your ideas and everything of that nature. Right. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see yeah, if any of those Bullet Club guys and any of the other guys here in the States show up on that show and where just Jay White shows up in general in the future. Yeah, I mean, we were kind of derogative, you know, had some uh, – I don't know, especially me, I would say in the beginning. I, I was kind of doubtful of uh, – the way I kind of thought Lions Break Collision would end up going, and it was just uh, – it turned out a lot better than I had anticipated, and I think it's a good little test run for what Strong could hypothetically be in the future. Again, though, I think the biggest and most important thing, though, is this is all for naught if they're not going to wind up getting on U.S. television. And so right now, I think uh, once this starts, it's all going to be on New Japan World, correct? Correct. Yeah, we don't have to rehash the reasons. I mean, anyone who wants to do their own research can do it. But, I mean, most of the money for wrestling in the States is wrapped up in television, uh, you know, and so they need TV. I also think they need that U.S. title. 
<laughs> yeah, bro. What the fuck? Like <laughs> this man, uh, <laughs> this man Mox is holding on to that belt like he's Brock Lesnar or fucking, uh, you know, st- is he going to run over it like he's Stan Hansen with the AWA title and mail it back? Like, what? what's he doing, dude? Yeah. Uh, I mean, at this point, I would either you know, strip him so they could use the U.S. title for strong or, I mean, maybe since it's only airing on NJPW World, maybe you can get Mox to show up and drop, drop the title on there. Have him drop it to Alex Coughlin. Yeah, of course. Yeah, fuck yeah. <laughs> drop it to Connors. You know he out, Clark Clark puts him in the Boston Crab. He taps out. Absolutely. I hope he brings the AEW World Title. Like he walks out as a double champion. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I don't see all that happening. I don't know, man. Um. Who knows? Like my. It, it's funny. I was talking to my girlfriend about. Uh, the u.s title and she's like isn't mox the champion i was like yeah and she's like well because i was like he needs they need to strip him or just have him send it back she's like yeah but there's no white guys in japan to like win it right now and i was like you don't have to be white to win that belt <laughs> <laughs> well i mean if you look at the previous champions maybe you do <laughs> oh my god that that's a terrible that is a racist thing you just said. That's the same <laughs> argument people made before Obama became president. <laughs> we we were, that is not the way we were on this show, sir. <laughs> no, but uh yeah, man, I don't know. Like I feel like I'm almost like is Mox ever gonna come back? Like I know I know he can't or anything like that, obviously. But I just have because of his like position right now in AW, I just feel like is he really coming back later? Like, it feels like probably not, you know? Yeah. Well, I don't know. We'll see. Well, that wraps up all talk on Lions Break Collision and New Japan Strong. They'll be starting in August. So now we're going to transition over to Sengoku Lord in Nagoya. Uh, before we break down the card first, I just want to let you guys know. So for a lot of these matches, a lot of the undercard stuff, we're not going to spend a, a whole ton of time right here because – a lot of this stuff happens again on the Summer Struggle shows, and so we'll kind of talk about that more during Summer Struggle, some of the stories that they're telling there. Um, yeah, th- this undercard was uh, heavily about, you know, it was it was all uh, mostly uh, multi-man tag matches, but most of those tag matches are leading to stories within Summer Struggle, and versions or variations of the same tag matches continued on the other cards. So when we do talk about it, I think we're probably just going to like lump them all together. Yeah. Um, so before we start talking about the card real quick, Josh, I just wanted to get your overall thoughts on Sengoku Lord. Cause I've, cause I've seen a lot of comments uh, from people saying, you know, worst new Japan show since new Japan world. And I see, I saw a lot of negative kind of feedback overall on this show. So what were your overall thoughts? Uh, no, that's not true at all. Um, I, I'm not high in this show. I, I know I made a joke earlier in the. Sh- I I actually wasn't sure how we were gonna start. I was sort of like, I was like, man, there's a lot of news. Maybe we start with some news. Uh, obviously, the the big title match here, something everyone is kind of like hot to hear about, and everything of that nature. So I wasn't sure where we were starting here, but uh, you know, good old Jeremy, you started us in a chronological order, which I I appreciate that, sir. <laughs> <laughs> but um. Yeah, man. I mean, th- this is there's this is nowhere near the worst show we've had. I mean, we, I mean, it's not even close to that. This wasn't a bad show, quote unquote. 
it wasn't like a great show, but I mean, it wasn't bad. Um, I, I, I mean, if I'm just giving you overarching thoughts, I didn't think anything on the undercard blew me away. Uh, I do think that the Ujiro Okada match was very underperforming for Okada. And I think Okada's maybe having the worst year, um, you know, just from, if you're just talking about empirical star ratings data, like he's having the worst performance year since I, since he returned from excursion. Um, some of that's not his, I mean, he's still great. It's not his fault. You know, it's kind of the story they're telling, but, um, I didn't think that match was blow away. I also don't think it was as bad as everyone was saying it was. And then I thought the top two matches were good. I didn't think either of them were great. And so that kind of makes this for like a blah show. Like stuff happened. It was a show. It was Sengoku Lord. I kind of feel like it probably holds up to other Sengoku Lords though. It's not like Sengoku Lord is some sort of like, this is not Dominion people. (laughs) Right. It's not, (laughs) <laughs> those are my not thoughts. The G1 it's, finals. <laughs> those are my thoughts exactly. Like it, it, it's not Wrestle Kingdom. It's not Dominion. It's not even Power Struggle. Like saying Goku Lord is a C level pay per view, and this was a C level show with some kind of C level action with the the semi main and main, like you mentioned, being good matches. When when you have when when you have like uh. I don't know. What was the last show we watched before this? Uh, uh, Would have been... Before Road. I thought Dominion was one of the worst shows I'd seen. Um, It was by far the worst Dominion. And, and, you know, I feel like in order for a show to be a candidate for worst New Japan show, you got to have a really, really, really bad main event because whatever the last thing that happened is, is going to be the last thing, like impression that, that you're left with and that plays a big role into your overall perception of a show and this main event and we'll talk about it later i I actually don't know how you want to start this if you want to start with the main event or not or you know just work your way down whatever but um it was by no means the worst iwgp title match in fact it was the best one since naito won the title (laughs) (laughs) yeah it doesn't say much you know, there's only been three, and I thought the I thought the other two Naito title defenses were not good at all. One of them included Evil. Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, we've had two two major shows prior to this that had worst, you know, worst main events. So no, it's not the worst New Japan show ever. Yeah, it, it's not a major. It also was it wasn't a banger though. <laughs> right, it wasn't a banger. Again, <laughs> it's not a major show, and you know, people want to talk about worst shows like. They have not watched, you know, a World Tag League night eight in the middle of a little gymnasium <laughs> with, you know, like G.O.D. versus, you know, Hanuma and Makabe in the main event. <laughs> now, I will tell you this. I understand why some of the fan base might feel that way. I think part of it is I think that even though there's a crowd there, uh, it's weird so I was talking – yeah, again, I was watching this talk with my girlfriend. I was like, you know, I almost don't like the crowd. Uh, part of the reason why is because it's just weird when they're not cheering. And I understand why they're not, and I applaud them for not cheering. So, I mean, you know, it's it's totally justifiable and understandable. But it's almost bizarre that they're only just clapping because when they're, all, when they're clapping, it also kind of gives you mentally the impression that maybe they could, like, cheer – but they can't. 
And so some stuff works and some stuff doesn't. And it's very uneven presentation because of that. Um, and it almost felt like more at least consistent when there was no crowd because nothing got a reaction. So they just had to work to that. But this environment, it's like kind of bizarre. And I almost want to say, you know, I've heard some people say like, I wish they'd go back to, to empty arenas. That works better for me. But then I'm also like, this is a company that has, you know, bled extensively this year due to their, uh, you know, um, standing on their, their morals by not running shows. They need, you know, the revenue and also the fans there want to experience live wrestling. So I'm not going to like sit here and say they shouldn't be doing it because I get why they're doing it and they need to be doing it. But, uh, it just doesn't make for like the, the viewer at home, like doesn't make for the best presentation. And I feel like that's part of what's throwing people off. Yeah. And I feel like the Nagoya crowd, like the energy level there for whatever reason to me felt less than what we saw in, um, Osaka for new Japan cup finals and dominion. I felt like those two shows, the fans were a little bit more creative with their claps, you know, clapping when people were getting chopped. And um, even there's some points where they kind of, you know, there were some light booms and very, very light cheering towards the end of stuff. And, and then here, like, they were completely quiet. They were they were clapping, but they weren't, the claps weren't creative. They were just kind of clapping, like normal kind of clapping for getting like, momentum and stuff like that. But there wasn't like the clap with the chops. There wasn't like innovative claps. And so it, the, the atmosphere was just really dead. Well, I think it also makes makes the experience of watching live wrestling less eventful and fun for the viewer live as well. I thought about that for the audience. I mean, you know, as much as you might love wrestling, um, when you're watching it, if you're not able to viscerally react and nobody else does, it does kind of create an empty environment to where it might detract from your your enjoyment, even though there's people there, you know. So I, I have thought about that as well. Um, but yeah, uh, I I would be lying if I told you this was my most excited time viewing New Japan right now. Um, you mentioned those World Tag League nights. Watching this show and watching the Summer Struggle uh, <laughs> matches, honestly – over the last three nights, it has reminded me of how I feel watching World Tag League. But not watching World Tag League on the first few nights when they're in Corkin. I'm talking about like the 11th, 12th, and 13th night when we're deep in it. And it's like, ugh. It feels a little bit – it's kind of like a slog. It feels like it's a job. And that's sort of – and it's not to say that there's not good things happening in, in New Japan. There is. There's good wrestling. You know, maybe I'm just being like a little bit of a sourpuss or something. I don't know. But uh, I could get why people would be down because I feel a little down, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can understand all those factors where people might feel down. But I still don't think it was one of the worst shows since New Japan World started. No, that's not true at all. I mean, <laughs> I guarantee, I'm not going to do it, but I guarantee you we could come up with 10 shows. 10 that have been worse than this since New Japan started, and it wouldn't be hard to do that, I don't think. Yeah, maybe that's another project for our, our research team. Nah, <laughs> I don't, don't want to subject anybody to that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But, but uh, uh, yeah, so let's talk about this stuff real quick. Yeah, so the show opened up. We had Taiji Ishimori defeating Yuya Yumura eight minutes and two seconds 
with the yes lock. Good match. Uh, my thought, my you know, very quick thoughts here is that uh, you know I talked about it last week. Taiji Ishimori is you know one of the juniors that is affiliated with the Bullet Club. Obviously, you have the junior champion um, involved in the IWGP Championship title match later in the evening. And so I thought that that this match was a big clue as to plans for later on down the line. And so this is kind of like a, a, a nice little teaser to kind of like heat up Taiji Ishimori picks up the win here. I, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. Well, work matchup. I mean, the, the clear point, like you mentioned of this match was to get Taiji Ishimori over and we'll be seeing him again later on in this show. So then after that, we had uh, Risuke Taguchi, Satoshi Kojima, and Togi Makabe defeating Ishii, Toriano, and Gabriel Kidd. Makabe getting the pin there via German suplex. Do you remember that book that people, like all the Christian people freaked out about, that uh, The Da Vinci Code? Yeah. Okay, I've never read it. I don't know if it's good or not. I didn't even see the Tom Hanks movie, but I'll. I, the idea is that there's like some code in Da Vinci's paintings. Um, I feel like there is a Gato code. And like, if you are tuned enough, when you look at the cards, you can kind of see the code. And I feel like we're good at seeing the Gato code. (laughs) 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 That's what I was just thinking. Like when we saw that Taiji Ishimori match, I'm like, ah, I see where the booking is going. Yep. (laughs) But but yeah, anyways, um, I didn't have any, any big thoughts here? Were you just going to keep going? or? Yeah, I was going to run through these results, and then we can kind of talk about some of the other story stuff a little bit later. Um, okay, yeah, let's do that. So then after that, we had Bushi, Sonata, and Naito defeating Goto, Sho, and Yoshihashi via Skull N. Then we had the Golden Aces teaming up with Tenzan, Master Wato, and Yuji Nagata to defeat the Suzuki-gun team of Doki, Minoru Suzuki, Taichi, Yoshinobu Kanemaru, and Zack Saber Jr. Uh, Bushi got the win there via Kamagoye over Doki. We did have a question here from EMJ does PR in a Discord. He says, "Can anyone else in New Japan build a feud like Suzuki? His last three Nagata, Liger, Tanahashi have all been feud of the year caliber stuff. With nearly every other heel in the company building heat through cheaper means, and it's what Suzuki doing. It's what it's what Suzuki does a dying art." Yeah, and uh, you know he kind of left out the John Moxley feud and also the stuff he did in the past with uh, Naito, um, which I think actually came in between the uh, the Liger and Tanahashi stuff. And yeah, I mean if if you look at all that, plus you look at his prior work with say Toriano, I mean, is there anybody in New Japan that is as good at consistently building like emotional? important meaningful feuds in new japan i i would say no yeah i think yeah suzuki is definitely the best at doing that and like uh emj does pr mentioned here like suzuki's not you know getting the cheap heat and you know doing low blows and interfering in people's matches he's it's straight up like i'm i think i'm better than you i want to punish you i want you to inflict pain on you and it makes it real personal yeah also the feud with um Ishii from a couple of years ago. Oh yeah, uh, the feud last year, even with uh, Okada. I mean, yeah, he's the best man. I mean, he is. I, I, for for my money, I think he's the best heel in the company. Yeah, I could. I would agree with that. So, uh, 
before we went to the next match, we did have an announcement on August 29th that New Japan will be doing an outdoor show for the first time in 21 years. They'll be doing a show at Jingu Stadium, Summer Struggle, Summer Struggle in Jingu. Yeah, I don't know that it's the first time in 21 years that they've done an outdoor show, but it's the first time in 21 years that they've run that particular stadium. Correct, yeah. Um, they famously held uh, a show there in 1999 that was that saw the culmination of the feud between um, the Great Muta and then um, – God, why do I always forget names? The Great Nita? Who's, yeah, Onita, the Great Nita. They had like a double hell, time bomb, death exploding, barbed wire, bullshit death match. One of those matches. I don't know. Um, it's pretty famous. It's actually on New Japan World, so you can you know uh, check it out uh, if you get a chance. But yeah, it's a famous card, and um, I'm looking forward to this. I'm very excited for it. So yeah. Yeah, should be cool. So take us to the uh, next matchup here. So uh, the the fifth match of the evening we had the rainmaker kazushika okada taking on the tokyo pimp yujiro takahashi and um you know this was a match that was built up uh yujiro had helped the bullet club to cost kazushika okada his um new japan cup finals uh in a loss to evil and then they kind of built this up through a, a series of tag team matches leading to this singles encounter um yujiro over the past few years has kind of like uh, you know, after he left Chaos and, you know, betrayed them for Bullet Club, he's kind of portrayed a pimp character and, you know, um, had varying degrees of success, whether it be in tags or in the singles. This is probably one of the most high-profile matches he's had in years. Uh, big step up in, in competitor and class. And um, I don't think a lot of people are big fans of this match. Yeah, I, I saw a lot of people throwing out one star, one and a half, kind of stuff like that. And I don't think that's that that's overkill. Yeah, I think that's egregious. I don't I didn't think the match was that bad. But this was to me an average th- gentleman's three, three star match. It is one of the weaker Okada matches you'll ever see. Um part of the problem is, you know, Yujiro just isn't, you know, a top singles guy. And if you've been watching Pretty much, you know, if you kind of jumped in the last few years, Yujiro's always kind of been positioned since he's been in Bull Club as a very lower mid-card guy. He usually doesn't get that much opportunities, maybe New Japan Cup, but, you know, even he wasn't even in the G1 last year. And so it's it's just, it's really hard when most of the match, you know, Okada is selling to try and make this match work and take off into Yujiro. But the whole match, the whole time it's like, he's not going to win. Like, Yujiro's not going to win. Yeah, um, uh, the the last couple weeks I sort of mentioned how every once in a while, about once a year, we get a, a pretty good performance from Ujiro. I was hoping optimistically that we might get that here. Uh, if there was anywhere we were going to get it, this was the time and place it needed to happen. I mean, Okada, probably the best of his generation, and, you know, with a big story behind it and a lot of eyes in front of a, uh, you know, a large audience, one of the first large audiences that they've had since COVID started. And you kind of hope that, uh, you, Ujiro would step up. Now I will say this, Ujiro is not a bad wrestler. Um, and there was nothing here that I thought was egregiously bad. I think there might've been a couple botches. If I recall, nothing really that stuck out, 
But, you know, the match wasn't super exciting. It wasn't super fast-paced. There wasn't a lot of drama. Uh, there was some bull clubs shenanigans sort of stuff like you know what's to be expected yeah yeah. and gato out there with the wrench yeah the wrench stuff and then ultimately okada winning again with uh what he has now dubbed his uh submission finisher as the money clip which um i liked red ink much better than the money clip but whatever um you know he kind of wins with that and i don't think that's we've already talked about why but i don't think that's the most exciting finishing move in the entire world and even though Yujiro is a good wrestler I wouldn't even call him a really good wrestler he's just he's a good wrestler Mm -hmm. but there are levels to this sort of thing and I don't think he was put in the right place to they gave him the opportunity you know but he might not just have what it takes to wrestle a great singles match with a guy like Okada at this stage of his career like that's just kind of the reality of things right but at the end of the day I thought this was you know, basic pro wrestling match. Babyface is better than the heel. Heel has to cheat to get heat and, you know, get one over on the Babyface. Babyface comes back, wins. Yeah, and you're absolutely right, Jeremy. Um, the only thing here is that um, there was a lot of time and effort and attention. Like, there's a lot of promotion behind this. So I think some... I don't know, you know. I, I don't know what people are thinking. I don't know if that's bad faith. Like, they're just so used to Okada always having blow-away performances and carrying guys to really great matches to, to where they're, like, like underrating the match on purpose because of their anger, uh, you know, or frustration. Or, um, you know, maybe people just are upset that Yujiro shouldn't have had the opportunity in the first place, and then they feel like they're justified, so they're just going to give it the bad rating. I, I I wouldn't even go necessarily three stars. I did think this was subpar. Like, I didn't think that this was a good match, so I'd probably go, like, 2.45, honestly. But uh, it wasn't, like, the worst thing in the world. It, it also wasn't good. It was definitely one of Okada's lower matches he's ever had, and I think we both are saying that, so. Yeah. So we had some questions here uh, surrounding Okada. First from the Circulo Quadro Pod says, Okada had a cryptic message after Sengoku Lord about doing something controversial. What do you think that is going to be? Well, I want to say this. Uh, If I'm Okada and I just was saddled with a feud that maybe I wasn't, you know, maybe didn't perform to the level that I'm used to performing and I kind of have that stink on me, I might come out here and announce I'm going to do something super secretive and super exciting and maybe kind of dangerous. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I might I might like want to shift people's attention away from the performance in the match and on to my next you know announcement. So I think that's smart <laughs> what they're doing. Um, I have an I have a pretty good I've thought about it all day what I think this announcement is and I think I'm right. Uh, do you want to take a guess? Do you have any thoughts here? Yeah, so initially, my first thought, when I saw the first comments, was I thought he was going to bring in somebody from a different promotion that he wanted to wrestle. Remember, he had that interview talking about different people he wanted to wrestle from different, different promotions. Like, oh, maybe he's going to do and that. The Kiyomiya stuff. Right. But then I, there were some other translations that came out with other promos afterwards where he was like, it's not going to be interpromotional. And you know, we were talking about that today, and I was like, okay, if it's not interpromotion, what's he going to do? Then I saw a translation from today's show where he says he's planning on bringing the heat to uh, to New Japan. Yeah, I, I 
I saw the comments he made um, on one of the the uh, I think it was the Sunday show, maybe Sunday or Monday. I can't remember. Um, where he said whatever it was that he was going to be announcing, it was going to be uh, kind of controversial. He wasn't sure if he was going to get the okay. And he said older fans, like older New Japan fans or older New Japan wrestlers might not, uh, they might find it controversial, but he's going to try it anyways. I didn't see the actual uh, backstage comments from today because when I tried to look them up, they weren't translated yet. Someone claimed to have translated I don't know if it's true or not. There's something I saw on Reddit, but they said that his statements were that it is not going to be a match with an outsider. So he's not bringing in, like, say, someone from AEW or one of the other pro, you know, promotions, which, like we talked about, there's been talk about him and Kiyomiya. He's the claim is that that's not what it is. The other thing is that he's not going to another promotion. Like, uh, one of the rumors was that he was going to wrestle in the Champions Carnival, which is starting up pretty soon. Apparently, he claimed this is secondhand, but apparently, he claimed that he's not going into the Champions Carnival either. So, which, you know, both of those are two things that I would love. I would love for him to go to a Champions Carnival, <laughs> and I would love for him to wrestle an outsider in Japan, you know, in New Japan. That'd be really cool. Um, so with those two things being ruled out hypothetically, maybe we have bad translations, you know, the second hand. But uh, what do you think it is? I think he's going to have an explosion match. Bro, I think he's having an explosion match too. <laughs> <laughs> I've been thinking about it all day, and I'm thinking, like, what could he want to do that is, like, so controversial? And I start thinking about this Jingu show, and I'm like, it's going to be Naito and Evil again in the outdoor arena. Is that going to really put butts in this? <laughs> <laughs> even at one third capacity i don't know man but then i was like bro it's funny we haven't talked about this that is literally what i think it is i and as as absurd as it sounds i now what's the scenario how are we doing this i i don't know maybe it's just one of those things where it's like you know the last time we ran this we had an explosion Match in the main event, and so I I want to do it. I never did one before, so I want to have an explosion right. match. But I don't know who he faces, though. Right, and so that's my thing is like if these hypothetical translations are accurate, and he's not fighting for someone from the outside, that doesn't make a lot of sense because I feel like in order to have a match like that, you kind of need to fight someone from the outside because I mean that's sort of what that match was built around in the first place was that Onita was an outsider and that was sort of his ballpark. And I don't know if there's anybody that I can think of in new Japan that, you know, it'd be one thing if there was a blood feud going on and like there was a really personal, you know, vendetta and the, the only way to settle it was in that sort of environment. But that's not a thing here in new Japan right now with, with Okada. Um, I don't know, unless it was like Gato. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the other thing is there's no one who's really adept to that type of wrestling is ex in the company, except like, I don't know, Tomoaki Hanma, maybe like, but you know, it's been years. So probably nobody, but if, I don't know if maybe say he fought like, uh, like a Juno or, uh, Jun Kasai or something like that hmm. from then maybe, I don't know. It's probably not going to be that. Like we probably worked ourselves, but like, 
I can't. That's the best guess I could make is that it's going to be an explosion match. Yeah, and um, by the time you guys are hearing this, so there is going to be a press conference um, Tuesday morning, 4 a.m. Eastern time, about the Jingu uh, Stadium show event, August 29th. So I'm sure by the time you guys hear this recording, the maybe Okada's official match will be announced for that show. So just so you know, we're getting, getting that news in this show. Um, but yeah, that I'm sure that full car will probably be announced sometime tomorrow. So the next question is um, from Viking Pain. He said the billionaire dream or Okada's newly dubbed submission hold the money clip. Um, oh, he said, which do you prefer? He said, because I honestly think the classic Cobra Clutch is a better looking submission hold than what Okada's doing now. And it seems like every time Okada slaps on the money clip, it kills the momentum in his match. Yeah, I, I agree with uh, Viking Pain here. I do like the the standing uh, Cobra Clutch, you know, what we call the Billion Yen Dream that he was doing last year. I don't know, it just, it, it worked a lot better. And yeah, this money clip, it does, like we've talked about before, it, it it's comes off like a rest hold. And it, it doesn't come off as a deadly submission because he'll have it locked in the guy forever they don't tap, and they can eventually get in the rope. It takes them like two or three times to get it in, and it just doesn't seem like an, an effective submission hold. Yeah, man. Uh, you know, we've talked about the various things. I, I actually think the move looks good from a um, mechanical standpoint. I actually think it is, it is in fact, a more realistic chokehold. Um, it just is. It is a more realistic chokehold. Um, the Cobra Clutch could be performed to actually choke somebody out, but the way it's performed in pro wrestling, it's not as realistic. Um, but with that being said, all all that really matters is how entertaining the hold is. And the standing Cobra Clutch has a lot more um, drama to it because of the way it's performed. And the way he's just having the guy sit there and then he's just slumping over and just <laughs> <laughs> just wrapping him up like, it's not really the best thing in the world. Like, I could—I don't know, man. I'm not even like a legit pro wrestler, and I could think of four or five better ways to put this on to get like maximum effect from the crowd. So I don't think it has anything to do with the actual move. It just has to do with the way you're applying it and the way you milk it from the crowd. And he's not really doing that, honestly. I think it's one of the worst major submission holds. It for. You know, we talk about, say, the butterfly lock that Yoshihashi puts on. Sure, part of the reason we don't like it is because mechanically it couldn't hurt anybody. But the other part of the reason we don't like it is because it it's the same thing as what we're talking about here. He just slumps over and locks it on the guy, and the guy's just sitting there. And, and either they're going to tap out or they're not, and there's not a lot of drama. It is the same. It's the exact same logic, and that's why I don't like this move. Yeah, so... But apparently, you know, he's planning on sticking with it. But, yeah, I would be perfectly fine if he decided never to do it again. Um, so we had a question here from uh, Murray Bone Muzza in Discord. He says, with Okada wanting to do something special, according to his backstage interviews, could we be finally seeing or finally getting the Kazuchika Okada versus Dragon George match we've been all waiting for? Well, the great thing about New Japan is that it's a company that typically doesn't uh... – you know, um, give us big swerves in the opposite direction. So when they tell us they've got a big announcement, there really usually is a big announcement. And if they try to 
if it ends up being some sort of comedy thing about Dragon George, um, I'm gonna be pissed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now nah, you know you're trying to, like you mentioned, you're trying to fill that stadium, even one third capacity. It's about ten thousand people. I don't think now's the time to be bringing out Dragon George. Don't don't play with my emotions. This is not a game. <laughs> Uh, so now we're going to move on to the never open weight title match. We had Shingo Takagi defending against El Desperado. What do you think about this matchup? Yeah, so uh, this was, you know, the whole story here. Um, we saw at the end of Dominion, Desperado came out. He threw a great punch, knocked Shingo Takagi out, stole the title. And then through the course of, uh, se- you know, several multi-man matches, um, Desperado was able to continue to hold on to the never open weight title. And so, um, even though he wasn't the champion, he was, you know, carrying the physical belt and he carried that into this, uh, title match here. And, um, I thought that this was definitely the match of the night for sure. And I thought it was a good match. And I thought Desperado and Shingo told a great story. Um, the fact that Desperado had previously attacked Shingo's leg and that Shingo kind of came in injured and Desperado, you know, tried to exploit that. And, you know, I know some people are not big fans of body part selling and that sort of storytelling. I am when it's done effectively. And I did think it was done effectively here. That being said, I still think that in the 17 minutes given to them, this wasn't the best match that Desperado and Shingo were possible, like were capable of delivering. Um, I'm not going to complain about it because it was still a very good match, but something kind of just seemed to be missing for me to some degree. And uh, I would go like three and three quarters. I th- I, but at the end of the day, Shingo took care of business and he was able to get that bum despy out of here <laughs> and, ki- and continue the never ending Shingo never open weight champion world tour. Because you will never beat Chingo Takagi. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I thought it was a very. I think, I think we should uh, do a countdown. Like every single time we're on the episode, we should uh, talk about how many days this man has been champion. <laughs> Let me take a look here. Uh, yeah, while you're looking that up, uh, yeah, this was a, a very good match, like you mentioned, built around uh, Shingo selling the left leg. And like you mentioned, I thought Shingo did a great job. Of selling the leg realistically, but also still being able to, you know, give offense and not being, you know, completely um, immobile. I thought that was good. I thought his selling was great. It was a different style of Shingo match. You know, normally we're used to the kind of, you know, the slugfest Haas match with Shingo. This was a more of a, you know, him having to sell and kind of come back from underneath. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the 178th day of the Shingo Takagi Never going to be beaten, never open weight world championship title tour. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, and some I other- actually think that's one of the longer title reigns in the history of this belt. Uh, it has to be. Masato Tanaka has the longest reign at 314 days. That's the first reign. And then the next one is Minoru Suzuki in 2017. He held it for 252 days. And then the third longest reign <laughs> in the history of this belt is Shingo Takaki. <laughs> so this man, he ain't got to hold on to it much longer. He's going to be the longest reigning never open weight champion in history. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
uh, and some other kind of small stuff I like about this match. There was one uh, kind of counter that Chingo did. He did like a, a, a double leg dragon screw to uh, Desperado. I thought was pretty cool. Something I never seen before. I really like that. And I just thought Desperado did a, a great job for the most part with his cheating in this match and was kind of very creative. Like there was one spot where he throws the never belt. No, he threw he threw the chair into the ring to distract Retu. So Retu's getting the chair out of the ring. And in that time period he uses the never belt to attack Shingo. And I kinda like that, you know, kind of quick distracting the ref that way instead of somebody jumping in or sliding in or pulling him out and kind of quick stuff like that to get your cheating off. I actually think that's a tactic that he used previously in his failed title uh, challenge against Hiromu a couple years ago for the junior title. I literally, I think that is a spot for spot re like uh, recreation of something he's done in the past. And I, I like that. I, I, I like that tactic a lot. So I'm in agreement with you. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I have nothing to really detract from the match, you know? Um, I, a lot of people really liked this match. I, I did really enjoy this match. So me saying that it's a 3.75 or, you know, someone could even go as far as four and I wouldn't really argue with you. You know, I think us saying it's not a five-star classic isn't really a detraction. I think it was exactly what it was. It was a very, very good never open weight tile defense. Desperado looked great. He cheated very well. Great logic, great story. He looked very vicious. Shingo, you know, overcame the odds, which is something that, you know, we've seen him do a couple times now, you know, when there's an injury in play and he kind of has to like work uh, and sell that. He does it really great and um, he gets good sympathy. Um, I, I, yeah, I thought this, I thought this match was great, man. Yeah, I, I was one of those that went four stars flat on it. I do think the one thing that was missing, we talked about the atmosphere earlier. I think this match definitely could have benefited from some crowd reaction in the crowd, you know, booing Despy when he's cheating and, you know, getting some real sympathy behind um, Shingo as he's selling the knee. That's the thing. Uh, that's exactly what I think is something that kind of hurt the match a little bit. Um, and you can't blame the performers. They did a great job. But it's like Desperado's doing all this stuff that gets awesome heel heat and there's no reaction to it. And then, you know, Shingo is kind of like, overcoming the odds and you only the thing is like clapping can only really emote so much you know like you can clap in appreciation for things and you can try to clap rhythmically to support someone but you can't cheer someone with the clap you can't boo someone with the clap and that entire aspect of pro wrestling is missed and this was a match that was built on an injury and sympathy and cheating and good over overcoming evil which is a lot of what pro wrestling is and clapping isn't enough to really capture that, you know? Right. Overall though, uh, Shingo's in the middle of a really great reign and the middle of a really great month and Desperado, you know, the match he had with Ishii and now the, this match with Shingo, I mean, he's really having a great year as well. I mean, I know he's been on the list before, but like, I'm starting to think he might be, a pretty good candidate this year for most improved. I don't know. Yeah, he could be. Uh, we had a question here from Rambo and Slam Blake. He says, "Do you guys prefer Shingo in junior style matches or hoss offs?" I probably prefer the big meaty men slapping meat side of Shingo, but I think his current role of being the boss of the open weight division really suits him. Who do you see up next? 
Uh, I think that's the great question. Who's next? Just like Goldberg. Who the <laughs> fuck is next? <laughs> um, you know, in my estimation right now, Shingo's in a two-way race, uh, you know, at, at the halfway point of the year with uh, Hiromu Takahashi for Wrestler of the Year. And I really don't give a fuck who you put in the ring with him, you know? Um, I We watched him for years in Dragon Gate be a power junior who was a bully who and he thrived in that role. And we've seen him with guys like Shu, like Suji Ishikawa and your Tomohiro Ishii's and guys like, you know, Hiroki Goto, guys that are bigger than him or the same size as him. And, you know, he kicks their ass like Shingo's the man, man. Like he really is. He's 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 like he's the truth. And uh, I don't really care what kind of style match you put him in. Six man tag, 10 man tag, singles, junior, heavyweight, open weight, whatever. Like he's awesome. I, I just want to keep watching wrestle as long as I can. Yeah. Shingo has quickly become one of my favorite wrestlers in New Japan and I would say I'd probably like my favorite style probably would be the hall sauce, you know, the Ishii matches, you know, wrestling guys like that and having a more traditional never style. But I also, you know, really loved his run in the junior division and just, you know, killing everybody in the best of super juniors, building up to that Osprey match and the match that he had here with uh, Desperado and the match with show like uh, he's just but, so versatile. But think, think about some of those junior matches that got overshadowed because of the fact that he had that banger with uh, Will Ospreay. Think about the Ishimori match just before and also the Dragon Lee match, the Dragon Lee match and the show match. So, I mean, this, you know, if you put him in there at the right junior, it's fucking stellar. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, But yeah. uh, Any final thoughts here? Overall, thought was a good match. Match of the night. Um, like you mentioned, Shingo keeps on rolling on. So we have the uh, much-awaited. This is what you are all here for, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it's time to bury this man evil. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, we have the IWGP Heavyweight Championship title and the IWGP Intercontinental Heavyweight uh, title. Uh, as your champion, his lord, darkness, evil, with Dick Togo, taking on uh, the ticking time bomb, Hiromu Takahashi. So before we get into the match, I thought it would be good to read this question here from Kevin from Washington, D.C. He says, what's up to Jeremy and Joshua? Just want to give your thoughts on this weekend's main event. I've listened to several NJPW podcasts over the last month, and surprisingly, it sounds like you guys are the lone dissenters when it comes <laughs> to the decision to put the titles on evil. Are you still as harsh as you had been after Sengoku Lord, or has your position softened after his match against Hiromu? Love the show. Keep up the great work, and Josh, calm down with the hyperball. Hyperbole? Oh, yeah, hyperbole. Oh, man, Kevin, I don't want to calm down with the hyperbole. I love hyperbole. Uh, there was recent. I'm not going to tell a story. I was going to say something embarrassing. My girlfriend actually got mad the other week because uh, <laughs> last week when I mentioned that she confused Goto and Gato. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, anyways. Oh, I know what it was. Okay, you know what? I'm just going to tell you guys. I don't give a fuck. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> the the other week, like, I was talking and I said the word parable. And she was like, parabole. <laughs> and I was like, what? What did you just say? And, like, she's like, parabole. And I was like, no, 
the word is parable. And she's like, no, the word's parabole. And then I grabbed my phone and I'm like, the way you can get them to like pronounce the word. And she's like, now she doesn't want to talk about it like ever. <laughs> and just so everybody knows, my girlfriend, lovely, beautiful, way more intelligent than me. So it's always fun when I kind of catch her in one of those like goofy moments. But uh, anyway, so um, yeah, I mean, I don't think we're lone dissenters um, at all. Um, if I were to name two influences that are out there that are not just associated with the Social Suplex Podcast Network, it doesn't sound to me like um, – <laughs> it didn't sound to me like fucking Dave Meltzer and Brian Alvarez are very high on evil getting a push for the IWGP double championship at all. Um and another group of uh, fan podcasters that we are, you know, connected with, good friends with, and, uh, you know, that I really respect. And I think they're the top in the industry when it comes to fan-produced podcasts. Voices of Wrestling flagship network, they're not in favor of this either. So we're not like the lone dissenters, even if there is a voice of pro-centric podcasts that are feeding you a bunch of bullshit telling you that this is the greatest thing that's ha- happened in new japan in you know the last five years it's not <laughs> <laughs> yeah when uh joe and rich dropped their uh review i was just so happy that we weren't the only the lone dissenters that you know felt the way we felt about this push <laughs> um you know i've had some time to kind of like reflect on this think about it um I don't want to spend too much time here because we've, you know, you can go back a couple episodes and listen to our initial thoughts on it. And I don't think my thoughts have really changed at all because while the reality is most of the other New Japan fan podcasts that are out there and the other groups that are in favor of this, I agree with most of their points, you know, when they talk about the effectiveness of the booking, the strength of the storytelling, the elevation of a character, the fact that evil's probably not even going to be champion long-term, which is something we, you know, it's not like we were like, Oh God, like, you know, I think I said the first day that this happened, it was like, evil's not going to be champion going into Tokyo dome or even the G one. So we acknowledged this is going to be a short run. And even then I was still angry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The problem is basically just, I think they're elevating the wrong guy period. And it's based entirely off of his work rate and his skill and his talent. He is not up to the talent or the skill level of everybody who's at the top level. It's not just one guy, (laughs) (laughs) you know, um, He's not at Goto's level. He's not at Ishii's level. He's not at Suzuki's level. He's not at Zack's level. He's not at Tanahashi's level. He's not at Ibushi's level. He's not at Naito's level. He's not at Jay White's level. He's not at Okada's level. He's at nobody who you consider a top guy in the company. He's not anywhere close to their level. And that's why I think this is a bad investment and a bad call. Period. And like... You can tell me all day about like how this is great booking. I think if you're going to do great booking, do it for the right guy. If you're going to give a guy an opportunity, give the right guy an opportunity. You're going to give us a surprise. Surprise us with the right fucking guy. 
You didn't hear this kind of complaints when Jay White got the, got his shot at all. You didn't. And if we'd been doing a podcast when Okada got his opportunity, we wouldn't have been doing this. We're doing this because it's evil. And we watched him for five years. And he doesn't deserve this. And I don't deserve to have to watch him wrestle 33-minute matches. Yeah, uh, I'm right there with you, man. I, my stance really hasn't changed from a couple weeks ago when we did the Dominion review on Evil. Um, and, you know, we, we had, um, you know, last week we talked about, you know, his match length and does that contribute to his match quality. And shout out to uh, one of our Georgia girls, Rachel, and to a uh, Reddit user, I believe it was uh, Ginger Ninja 666 um, they actually put together some charts, kind of, you know, graphing out um, Evil's um, 43 singles matches in New Japan and um, the star ratings based off of cage match ratings and uh, Wrestling Observer newsletter ratings. And so I, I put together a column. It's on the front page of socialsuplex.com that you guys can kind of check out. I also put it in the, the Reddit there, and it has this the chart of all his matches and kind of plotting it out and... Yeah, I think that's I think that's a very interesting um, article, and everyone who's listening needs to go read it and look at the you know all the uh, research that was put together. Thank you guys for doing that. And what were you saying about evil? Yeah, and so you know we kind of saw from the research, you know, evil has had a lot of of highly rated matches, and they that and they kind of tend to fall in that that sweet spot of fifteen to twenty seven minutes. But when you, you see the style, it, it's a lot of things that go into the match that are highly well, rated. I'll say this. 15 to 22 minutes. He had one match that was good that was 27 minutes and it was with Okada. Yeah. The majority of his really uh, of his good rated matches are between 15 and 22 minutes. Yeah, I think so. I definitely think that 15 to 20 minute window is definitely a factor. Obviously, also the opponent he's going against is a factor. And then also... The style of matchup, I think, is a big thing here. So I think when Evil is, is wrestling more of, of a slugfest and, and the action's more in the ring, I think he has a better chances of having a, a very good match. I mean, we've seen the, the match with like Ishii and stuff like that come out very good. But in a role like this, where a lot of the his action is revolved around what's happening outside of the ring a lot of cheating a lot of interference and plus it's going 33 minutes long there's a lot of things that are hindering him there yeah i mean so here's some things that i've heard other podcasts talk about that i'd like to address so they mentioned you know fan some fans are not happy about evil and the bullet club because of the shenanigans the cheating the outside interference and some people are like you know this is westernization the reality is, is it, it's not. Um, you could go all the way back to the beginning of New Japan, literally to like 1972, 1973. You're going to see some form of this. And, you know, it was especially prevalent in the 80s and the 90s. And, you know, the whole past decade, like, there's never been a period of time where New Japan didn't employ or use you know, weapon shots, ref bumps, outside interference. I mean, these are you know, things that are standard staples of New Japan. I do think that it can be overdone. I think there's some things that they should definitely revamp, especially when it comes to their referees, namely more than anything else. But there's some people who, a lot of people came to New Japan because they were burnt out 
by Western products like WWE and others, and they thought they found this great alternative, which they did. And yeah, we were spoon-fed classic after classic over the past couple decades, uh, or not decades, last couple years, you know, um, with guys like Okada, Tanahashi, Kenny Omega, Naito, and Ibushi. And that's what we became, kind of become accustomed to. And so when they see someone who's performing less, they sort of think that, uh, you know, it's like the death of the promotion or whatever, which isn't necessarily true. With that all being said, the big problem here, the big, big, big problem is that when you're doing the cheating for a guy like, say, a Suzuki or a Finn Balor or a Kenny Omega or a Jay White, you're doing it for guys who – or even Naito. You're doing it for guys who are getting it done in the ring <laughs> the whole time through. And um, evil's not capable of that. Um, when you look at the evidence that, that was compiled uh, by our research team, it did not follow my hypothesis where I thought the longer the matches go, the worse he gets. What it did tell me is that his 10 worst matches are in the 15 to 22 minute range and his 10 wor- best matches are in the 15 to 22 minute range. What it tells me is he is inconsistent as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> like – there is no sweet spot for him. There might be a little bit, but not really. Like the reality is, is that like evil's not a top caliber talent. Um, and I know there are people who want to be excited for this because they are trying something different. You didn't hear this podcast complain when they tried something different with Zack Sabre Jr. Or with uh, Jay White. Or who else have they tried something different with? Shingo. You know? We didn't. Because there's no reason for us to. Because (laughs) those guys are good. (laughs) And the problem here is, like, I think in a few years we're going to look back and people are going to talk about, like, remember when they gave Evil his push? And it's like, yeah, it was really good. His music was awesome. His look, they gave him a new coat of paint. He looked really cool. And they put you know, the, the, the machine behind him, but something just didn't quite work. And I'm telling you right now what it is. He's not talented enough to be a top new Japan guy. He never was, and he never will be. And this is the harshest sort of criticisms that we've ever given somebody. He was perfectly slotted, perfectly slotted to be an upper mid card guy, but there are other upper mid card guys who are more, who have the aptitude to do what they're trying to do with him. They just picked the wrong guy. That's all it is. Yeah. And you know, you mentioned, you know, guys like uh, Fergal debit and some of the cheating that they did with him. And I think, you know, part of the heat with Fergal debit was the fans for a long time saw him as a baby face and saw how talented he was and saw him win clean for so many years. And now all of a sudden he's turned heel and he's cheating. That's part of the heat. Like, the fans know that he's good enough to win these matches by himself, but he's still opting to cheat and do what he means necessary. Yeah, man. Um, Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I think there are other scenarios. And, uh, you know, Ricky Choshu sort of comes to mind as someone sort of like that in the past. I mean, yeah, definitely. Um, 
I don't know, man. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I, I, I just, I don't, I do understand wanting to give something a chance before, before you're down on it, you know? Um, one thing I think that's smart, okay? It's not like when Evil went through the New Japan Cup, they had him emphatically beat all of his opponents, you know? Mm-hmm. So they actually protected everybody he beat to a certain degree. But I think that that should tell you something. If they felt the need to protect, I mean, who did he beat? He beat Goto, Kojima, he beat Kojima, he beat Yoshihashi, Sonata. and Okada, and, and Sonata. Sonata. Part of the cheating was to get him over as a bad guy act, but part of the cheating was to give deniability and put put a little asterisk on all those matches. Why do you think they had to put asterisks? on all five of those matches so that they could justify putting the belt on this guy. It's because, you know, they didn't have to do that with Zack Sabre two years ago. They didn't have to do that with Kota Ibushi a few years ago. They certainly didn't have to do that with Shinsuke Nakamura. Do you see what I'm saying? This is not, when we complain about evil, this isn't just some fanboy shit where we're just like so blinded and we're just going to um, you know, hate this because we're dug in. We have empirical, historical evidence to point to what they've done in the past and then compare it to this. And I can show you why this doesn't line up. One of these things doesn't look like the other. Why did they have to protect five guys in losing efforts to evil when they didn't have to do that with their other you know, New Japan Cup finalists and champions in the past? It's because this guy – has been a mid Carter the whole time. And he wasn't ready for this push, you know? Right. It, and yeah, it's even, not, go ahead. I was gonna say, it's not quite the same thing as say gender Mahal, but there are parallels. The parallels that gender didn't get built to be the, the, uh, champion. It came from out of nowhere. That is what they did with evil. And I know you can point to your G one matches and you can point to your, Chris Jericho main events, but the reality is no actual respecting self-serving New Japan fan before they started that tournament thought this guy was actually going to be the the IWGP champion. Right. I mean, you, you look at the brackets that were submitted to us. You know, this was our one of our most um, entered New Japan Cup contests, and there was only two people who had evil in the finals. <laughs> uh, and you think, you know, you mentioned previous heels and previous people that they've done stuff with. And, you know, even with Jay White, who does have a lot of cheating and shenanigans in his match, I even feel with him. And he's he, inconsistent, too. Right. I, but even with him, I feel like in a tournament setting or when he's getting built up, it's he still delivers for the most part. His highs are higher. That's the big difference. His highs are higher, man. Like, that's what it is. Do you think Jay White and Hiromu would have got outdone by Desperado and Shingo? I don't. No way. There's no fucking way, bro. You know? Okay, and that's another thing. I want to talk about that real quick. It's probably one of the last points I want to make mention of. There are some fans who are saying, like, oh, if you're just a moves mark or you're just a in-ring product mark maybe this isn't the product for you and i'm sitting here thinking 
You mean the product that has been touting itself as the best pro wrestling in the entire planet because of its in-ring presentation? That product? <laughs> right. I mean, you look back. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. The person holding the IWGP champion was arguably the best wrestler in the world when they were holding that title. Right. We, we did not tell New Japan to book their title that way. They could have been like other promotions and put anybody, give anybody the championship, but they have over the years protected the title and put it on the person who is the best in-ring bell-to-bell competitor in the world. When that person held that championship, there was no doubt about how great they were. And when it comes to somebody like Evil, he's just not on their level. He's, a, he's not on that level. He's a good little mid-card pro wrestler. Like you mentioned, he was slotted fine in that never division. Maybe you give him an IC title shot. I thought him and Sonata were a very good tag team and had some good tag team matches. But when you talk about elevating him on the platform of best wrestler in the world, he's not like that. And that's the way the companies push a title and push their main events. Well, there's some people out there that think that this is really slick, a really good idea, and it's really slick. Like, they're tr- you remember when WWE was like getting away with bad booking because they would find ways to get off the air without people booing in slick, secretive ways. Yeah, and I don't remember those wa- what those ways were. I just remember they're doing shit like that. They would find ways where like they'd go off the air. And then you would be disappointed, but you're like, oh, those sly bastards. They got off the air before anyone could boo. Like they would like they cut knew- away cut away backstage or like cut away to like a yes. promo or something to the back. Yeah. Yeah. That is how people are explaining away the fucking evil thing. They're like, dude, he's going to lose it next month to, you know, to, <laughs> to fucking Naito. This was a short term run designed to elevate him in the minds of the people so that they've created a new star. My problem with that is that he hasn't had any real true star-making performances at all, including this match that we're about to talk about, and he won't be having very many of them in the future. So again, you picked the wrong fucking guy, you know? And it's like, why do you have to... Why do you have to go give me smoke and mirrors to get the guy over? Why do people have to say, well, it's the perfect time to do it because they can only do one-third capacity? No. You don't invest in a guy that you think could only do well in a one-third, in, one-third capacity environment. You invest in the guy that you know that whether it's one-third capacity or 100% capacity, he's got the goods to get it done, to draw people, to actually – you know. Evil's not the guy, guys. I'm telling you. And, like, I I just know we're not going to be looking back at this podcast in two years and talking about how we were wrong. People – in fact, the argument that the best wrestler in the world usually holds the IWGP title 
we didn't come on this podcast and make this argument, but I know other people, including Rich and other people who were talking about how Naito shouldn't have even held the title when he did because he was quote-unquote devaluing it because he's also kind of damaged goods at this point. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we had to kind of combat that sort of logic, but there is some truth to that. And then they continued to go down the other way, and they put the fucking belt on evil. And it's like, bro, who who's the best champion in wrestling right now? I think for the first time, literally, in like seven or eight years, it does feel like the IWGP champion is not the real world champion. Who's who's the best world champion out there right now? Uh, out of men singles? Yeah, I feel like it might probably be Drew John, McIntyre. Uh, maybe John, John Moxley. It, it, it's probably John Moxley. The 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 U.S. champion of Japan, <laughs> <laughs> and if it's not him, then it's probably like John Moxley, or maybe it's uh maybe it's Keith Lee. I don't know, man. Yeah, I mean overall, I would if you're including both genders, uh, Mayu Watani with with the red belt, she's been having a great year. Mayu Watani is the best champion in wrestling right now. Yeah, hands down. So I mean, I mean, at least that's a win for Bushi Road. I don't know. <laughs> so yeah, we spent a lot. Of, are we gonna do this every week where people <laughs> ask us questions and we fucking fight and get mad and bury evil? Like, I I just feel like at the end of the day, we're not talking in hypotheticals. I think the other shows and the other podcasts and the other uh, article writers they are talking in hypotheticals. They're talking about theories of booking philosophy and theories of things we are looking at empirical evidence look at this guy's track record he doesn't have the goods period yeah that it's pretty much just like that and one last thing i just want to reiterate from our episode two weeks ago and like you brought up you want to test this out you know you want to test somebody as a champion there should be some you know it's an experiment you want to do an experiment well what are we testing here like you mentioned one-third capacity buildings like we can't really test if this guy's a draw if he's not drawing full buildings so it's almost like a waste of an experiment it's like a waste of resources at this point hey it's a gamble you know they always wanted you know one thing uh do you have it in the news the whole chris jericho thing I didn't. We can talk about it right here. So yeah, Chris Jericho, he's been doing these like Saturday night evening like things on Facebook Live where he tells stories and people ask him questions. And he did bring up that uh, Gato told him 18 months ago that he was going to give Evil a run with the title. Yeah. So I mean, they always kind of had this theory in mind. They found the perfect place for them to try it out. Hey, if it works out, great. You know. I would rather that this podcast be wrong and he put on bangers. I'd rather issue an apology to you guys about how we don't know what we're talking about. I'd rather do that instead of having to actually sit through the matches. I I don't like sitting through the matches, guys. Do you? Well, let's talk about it. Let's talk about this match. So, main <laughs> Who event. like sitting through these fucking 33-minute <laughs> evil matches, man? <laughs> Yeah, so this main event, 33 minutes, and I don't know if it was just because I just knew that Hiromu wasn't going to win. I just I just wasn't really that, I don't know, it just didn't come off believable to me for the majority of the match that 
Hiromu had any chance of winning. I, I knew Evil was going to win, and I, I'm I'm waiting for shenanigans. I'm waiting for the interference. And honestly, I don't think the match got very good until the the last seven or eight minutes, where you know Hiromu is starting to pick the pace up and is um, getting some really great near falls. I mean, the one near fall that I bit on hard was when he hit the, the time bomb too. Which is you know his super finisher and the move that he's used to put away heavyweights. I was like, oh, yeah, they're switching the belts here. <laughs> but then uh, uh, Dick uh, Togo pulled uh, Retchus out of the ring. Yeah. So uh, a couple things I will say. Um, it would be disingenuous to say that this was actually a bad match. This was not. No, it a wasn't bad match. It was a good match. Um, Maybe a little like, but it was just good. It was just a good match. I don't think it was anywhere near the standard of what we're used to for IWGP title matches, and including like, for instance, um, when Okada like wrestled, say, Bad Luck Fale, and people talked about it, it was one of the worst. I remember when this happened. They were like, Fale versus Okada is one of the worst IWGP title matches in five years or six years. And it was a four-star affair. This wasn't no fucking four-star affair. <laughs> so that's kind of where we've dropped to. Um, and so that's sort of what we're talking about. But uh, the match itself wasn't bad. I do think the fact of the matter is, like you mentioned, Jeremy, if you understood that there's no way that Hiromu was winning here, then it kind of killed some of the um, drama for you. I also think that because the crowd was unable to react the way that they might have traditionally reacted, that also took, uh, you know, detracted from the environment itself. I myself did also bite on the time bomb too. Once he hit the time bomb too, I was like, I started thinking to myself, like, there's no way he's winning, but they put the title on evil, so anything's fucking possible. <laughs> <laughs> And then Dick Togo pulled out red shoes. Um, but, I mean, I don't know. Other than that, like, it was a 33-minute match. It wasn't a bad match, but I didn't think it was great. I think it was just too long. Um, I think if this had been a 15- to 20-minute match, like we talked about, I think they would have had a banger on their hands, but they just didn't. It was very inconsistent. It had a good opening, a good end. It had a really great ending. Yeah. And, and, until some of the uh, shenanigans at the end, the ending sequence was actually great. But a lot of the work in the middle was just kind of there. That's exactly yeah. The ending was hot. I mean, the, the opening was hot. The ending was hot. But the opening was hot, too, with uh, Hiromu straight off the bell, drop kick, going wild and crazy on evil um, with a lot of fire. So, yeah, the opening was really good, and then the ending was really good. But then everything in the middle was just kind of there. Um, you know, overall, I went three and a half on this match. It, it was a, a, a good match. But, you know, it's like we talk about a 33-minute, three-and-a-half match. Earlier on the show, we just we talked about the tag match on Lions Break Collision being three-and-a-half, and that was nine minutes. Yeah, I. Uh, the funny thing is, and this is something I wanted to point out, you know, there's some people who don't like the talk of ratings and things like that. But it's like, you know, I, I like ratings because it's an empirical, measurable way to kind of you know, just kind of measure things. It's not, you know, the gospel of everything, you know, like what you like, rate what you rate, whatever. But, you know, two of the biggest um, things that we have out there are grapple and cage match. And 
those I always kind of assumed that the you that the inmates on cage match were sort of like that there's a lot of crossover between them and grapple. I just always sort of assumed that this match kind of made me start. To, and actually a lot of the new Japan ratings lately have led me to believe that maybe that crossover is not as great as I had thought it was previously, because when I look at grapple, I'm seeing, I think that the last time I checked, they were like at 3.8. So they're probably closer to like a 3.7, like three and three quarters or even a four star match. But over the last 24 hours, the rating on cage match, which has been around longer and generally is frequented by what I think are, in my opinion, a wider variety of fans. I wouldn't say smarter fans, but you kind of have to really be a smart fan to even know about cage match. Right. You know, and it, it, it has a way farther reach than Grapple does. Like, Grapple actually has more ratings right now uh, for this show and for this match than Cage Match does. But Cage Match has been around longer. It's actually taken from a much larger pool. And when you actually divide, they, they judge theirs out of a scale of 10. I took a look at their rating. They're at three and a half, literally, dead even, three and a half, which I think is a much more. Um, I think that's more realistic. They also, the interesting thing is on cage match, they have the Desperado and Shingo match rated higher. Whereas on grapple, they have this main event um, rated higher than the never open weight title match. Yeah. So right now on grapple, the Shingo match is at 3.71 and the evil match is at 3.81. Yeah. And I've noticed that that, hasn't changed in the past couple of days it sort of just like everyone who's on the grapple app put their ratings in and then it sits there you'll notice with cage match over time it will continue to change and grow i think that grapple is more of a community-based thing and more of a bubble-based thing i hope it does expand and grow my thinking and i i don't think this is far off i think a lot of people who are in the same sort of twitter bubbles podcast bubbles are sort of on that site using it i think it's a fantastic tool and i love it but i think it's capturing one very specific sort of fandom because i just can't see and and it's not just me there's a lot of people that agree if you look at the cage match ratings there's no fucking way that the shingo match underperformed to this main event you know right and so that's just one thing I like sort of saw. I was like, man, I don't think that <laughs> I don't think the users on these two sites are actually like cross pollinating as much as I thought they were. Yeah, it's very yeah, very interesting looking at both of those um both of those sites. But um regardless, that does tell you something. There are people out there that actually were really high on this. Like they 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 thought the match was much better than we did. Regardless, you're going to find yourself somewhere between like three and a half to four stars when it comes to this. So it's not the worst title match in the world. It's not the best, sort of like our assessment of Sengoku Lord as a show in general. Um, again, I'm not high on the Dick Togo, you know, whatever the, the tripwire thing where he's like choking the people out. It's just like, I, I don't know, man. I've watched too many like Scorsese films and soprano episodes like you can like literally behead someone with one of those <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so it's not my favorite heel tactic in the world and like i'd be fine with him cheating and being a heater i i like dick togo 
Um, I'm not even up. You know what the funny thing is? I don't even care about the Bullet Club. Uh, like one of the biggest complaints that people have is the Bullet Club, like um, run-ins and the shenanigans and stuff and all that. And like, I don't even care about that. That's never even been my complaint when it comes to evil. I just realize he's not that good. <laughs> <laughs> it has nothing to do with Bullet Club at all. Yeah, but I, I do think yeah the fact, but you know he's not that good, and then you're you're getting like interference on top of that. Uh, I think definitely hurts. And well, I think in this match it hurts because he started to actually have a good performance. Yeah, like it was on its way to being good, and then this happened, which I guess we're kind of getting worked because that's the whole idea. You know, you want to draw heat, you want to you know anger the fans, make them you know want to see the bad guy get beat up. So I get it. Um, but yeah, ultimately, uh, it was fine. Uh, Hiromu kind of got screwed and he loses. One thing I did love about this match, I loved that he hit the everything is evil on evil yes. before he, before he went for the time bomb too, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. yeah like we mentioned time bomb two was a, a great near fall. There was a spot where he did a death Valley driver to evil in the exposed turnbuckle thought that was cool. Um, there was one spot he went for the D, his uh, triangle um, choke submission hold. He also did the diving senton to the outside on the young lion and goat uh, Dick Togo and on um, Evil all at the same time, which was pretty crazy. Like, Hiromu worked his ass off in this match. And Evil bumped like crazy for him. Like, they worked hard. Yeah, yeah, Hiromu looked really great in this match. And, I, you know, from the beginning of the New Japan Cup to now, I think his stock has definitely uh, raised in this company. Hiromu also carried out his own jacket to the ring, which I think was an allusion to the idea that Evil had been carrying Hiromu's jacket out to the ring when Hiromu was on the shelf. Yeah. So he had a little so. bit of storytelling there as well. Um. So... Uh, evil won with the everything is evil after interference from Dick Togo, 33 minutes and 57 seconds. Uh, Post match, we had a run in from uh, Taiji Ishimori, who took it to um, Hiromu Takahashi. And in that moment, uh, Tetsuya Naito came out. You know, he, you know, kind of uh, protected Hiromu, ran off the bad guys. And then we got like a face off between him and Evil, and then a post show promo. Yeah. So yeah, that pretty much wrapped up Sengoku Lord. We have a lot of questions here uh, surrounding this main event. Um, so first, uh, from our buddy Kevin Crawford, he says, "Which of the two title matches from Sengoku Lord did you prefer, and why?" I enjoyed the whole card, top to bottom, and thought Hiromu Evil was very dramatic and had me hooked all throughout. Even with some of the tag and lower card matches feeling thrown together and the roster being limited, I think NJPW is starting to get back into a good rhythm. Desperado and Gabriel Kidd really stuck out to me in their performances as well. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, I preferred the Never Openweight title match. We kind of covered why. Um, I'm glad that, uh, Kevin, that you enjoyed the uh, whole card top to bottom. Happy belated birthday, by the way. I actually uh, wish him happy birthday on his birthday, but happy birthday. Happy birthday, Big Kev. <laughs> But, um, yeah, I, I did think Roman Evil had a good bit of drama um, in the match. I think the problem for me was just there's no way Hiromu was being evil. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I agree with you. I think that uh, – I actually don't think things feel thrown together. I just think it's a limited roster, and like you mentioned, and I think that they are 
doing as good as they possibly can given the circumstances. So, um, and I agree with you. I think Desperado and Gabriel Kidd have been sticking out to me just in general. Both of them have been really, really good. So, yeah, I have a feeling. Um, I think that some of those young lions are going to be top like candidates for most improved this year because there's a it's going to be really hard to find actual guys that I feel have improved this year other than them and Desperado. Yeah, and we'll talk about Gabriel Kidd here in a second. What's he what he's been doing on these shows? But yeah, I think he's been looking great as well. And like just like Josh, I preferred the never open weight title match over the uh, IWGP uh, IC main event, and we kind of went into both of the reasonings on both those matches, but. Overall, I I did I liked the show like because I wasn't going in expecting an A level show. It was a C level show with your standard New Japan undercard, which is building stuff for the Summer Struggle Tour, and then you had two title matches. One the Never Title match I thought was really really good, and then the the main event, which it was good it was it was good for what it was. Yeah. Uh, next question from Hooday Forty Two. He said. Let's assume Naito wins belt, back the belt. Do you think he carries the titles to the January 4th show? And who is his most likely opponent? And um, I will say, yes, I think he is going to win the belt back. And yes, I think he's carrying it all the way to January 4th. Um, obviously, his most likely opponent is whoever wins the G1. Um, so, I mean, do you agree you think he's carrying it to January 4th? I do, yes. So who do you think's winning the G1? Um, and let's, you know, just assume, I mean, hopefully travel restrictions get lifted pretty soon. But, I mean, who do you see as being a possible Naito challenger? I think. I mean, there, I mean, there's three names that immediately come to mind on who I think could potentially challenge him. Um, obviously, first, there's Okada. Um, yeah, Okada seems like the first guy, but it's like they, I don't know, man. I don't know if they should do Okada again. Right, it might it might seem too soon, and you know, kind of a repeat of last year. But you know, there there is one part of the Naito Okada story that has not been told yet, and so obviously, we you know we had this big build up to Naito finally beating Okada in the dome. But one thing Naito has not done yet is successfully defend his title against Okada. That's true. Um, I feel like if they wrestle in the dome again. Okada's getting that win back, and I think they're done after that. And I feel like Naito's done with the bill after that, too. <laughs> um, uh, another guy. I, I'm not sure who else there is. Who are you thinking? So the other two guys I'm thinking, uh, one is Hiroshi Tanahashi. So we know that they've been protecting yeah. this, this Naito-Tanahashi match. Um, Tanahashi has made you know, claims about, you know, bringing back how he pinned Naito in Boston last year and, you know, eventually, you know, wanted to face Naito. So you could have, you know, the ace win the G1 again and have uh, Tanahashi versus Naito, and that could be a big main event. Uh, I don't think they're doing that, personally. Yeah, that one seems a little bit... Yeah, I have a hard time seeing Tanahashi win the G1 um, this year. But, I mean, they've been protect- protecting that match. Um, and the, the third guy that I thought about was Kota Ibushi. Just for the fact of the rivalry that him and Naito had last year, they traditionally have great matches against each other. Abushi is somebody they they eventually would like to elevate and have in that main event title picture. Um, so I think that's that's a way you get a great dome main event by kind of rekindling that rivalry. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing: Abushi just won the G1 last year, 
he could win it again, but if he does, then it's like you're kind of it. That's a big deal. I mean, to be I I can't remember the last time someone repeated in the G one. Um, so yeah, that would be a big deal. I I'm just trying to figure. Like for me personally, none of those feel right to me. Um, I don't know. Shingo could feel right to me. Mm. Possibly, depending. But I, you know, I don't know if they have plans to go with Shingo for as an IWGB champion. I really don't. Um, well, I mean, what about Hiromu? I don't think so, personally. I, I mean, unless they want to elevate him, uh, have him drop the title, he have to drop it pretty soon. There's not a lot of time left in the year, and in the next one or two defenses, you have to drop it. Uh, but then, you know, does that really endear him to being a good candidate to win the G1? I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's... it's a tough call, man. It's a tough call. It's hard to know. I think right now, I would just say Sonata seems like the most likely candidate, just because. Yeah, I, I don't know. I I don't know. I mean, I guess you could go Sonata. I don't know. It's, he's just been so de-emphasized. This Did year. I say Sonata? Yeah. I, I meant Okada. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah. Yeah, no, Okada is probably the most likely candidate just because it's Okada. Yeah. And obviously there's a built-in story, built-in rivalry. There's not much you would have to do to really heat that up. Uh, next question from Viking Pain. He said, Hiromu is an absolute superstar. Do you guys think he's uh, has ace potential of New Japan, or will his size and height limit him to his junior division forever? Interesting question. Um, I know I think Hiromu is a superstar. I think he's super talented, um, and I, I think he does have enough charisma to enough charisma to kind of overlook the size disadvantage. And I think he could be a top star in the heavyweight division i'm not sure if he could be the ace of the company in in the face and the overall you know top guy but i do think he could be one of the top guys in that heavyweight division yeah man i mean when we talk about it's funny because i think a lot of people throw around the term ace and as if it means um top guy in the promotion you know what i mean Mm -hmm. but it or like, you know, but it really doesn't. What it means is like top guy of a period of time. You know what I mean? Like the reality is even though right now Evil's got the title and even though before that, uh, you know, um, what's – like Naito had the title. The ace of the company is Okada. Right. <laughs> and when Kenny Omega was champion, he wasn't the ace. The ace of the company was Okada. Okada's been the ace since – Tanahashi passed the you know torch to him and that's sort of the deal the ace is going to be the guy that Okada passes the torch to when they're done with him whether you know whenever that might be so I don't think that there's any chance personally that Hiromu is ever the ace of this company that being said I think that there is an outside chance he could hypothetically like you mentioned uh, Jeremy for the reasons you mentioned Potentially be a top guy in the heavyweight division, you know. Um, I don't think he's going to be the, you know. I I was listening to Observer this past weekend, and you know, Dave thinks he's a guy that they can market and go with. But I don't know, man. They didn't go with Sayama. They didn't go with Liger. They're probably not going to end up fully going with uh, with Hiromu either, honestly. 
Yeah, I, I he just he's just so charismatic. I think he's a great job of getting sympathy in that that baby face kind of underdog role. I definitely think he could be, like I mentioned, one, one of those like top four or five guys, you know, those top pillars of the heavyweight division for a period of time. Um, I think they could make money with him, but like you mentioned, I don't think he's going to be, you know, the long term ace. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that is his absolute top level aptitude is a pillar he can be a pillar but he's not going to be the ace right um so next question here from reddit user z rider 2 what are your thoughts on the whole evil main event push so far and how long do you think he'll be the top champion for we've kind of shared our thoughts on the push in general um i even i i went pretty in depth talking about like who they protected how they accomplished it what the long-term goals are so i I don't know. I hope I was articulate enough to kind of cover that. Uh, ultimately, though, I think that what they're doing long term is he will drop the belt to Naito. He will probably have a really good point standing in the uh, G1. I don't think he's going to win it, but then he'll probably have some sort of compelling matchup in the dome. My guess is Sonata. And he'll probably beat Sonata in the Dome on January 4th. And that will lead to him getting back into the title hunt after that's over. Makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, I don't see him holding the title. I mean, we've talked about it. We don't see him holding the title long. I mean, he's probably dropping it at at this Jingo show. Now, here's the troubling thing. New Japan is a very stubborn company. And when they commit to something, they fucking commit. Unless you bomb bomb, and there's no way for them to empirically measure whether they bomb bombed with him or not right now. They're going to keep going with him. So they're probably going to put the title back on him at some point in the near future. Uh, I also kind of felt that way about Jay White, though. So we still got to see where that's going to go with the whole Jay White and Evil thing. And I think that's probably. That'll probably be the next thing on the horizon for him after the Dome, actually, if you think about it. Yeah, whenever they can get uh, back in the country, yeah. But it's not like they're just going to give up on him until, like, we're at full capacity where they can actually assess how successful he is or isn't. They're not going to pull the plug on this. So for those of you who don't like the evil thing, get ready because it's going to keep happening. Like, it's not changing anytime soon. And no amount of bitching, complaining, praying, hoping, wishing—nothing's going to change it. They've got—they've—they're dug in, <laughs> right? And I think the the one thing you know with New Japan, like you mentioned, you know they they when they go with a guy, unless they completely bomb, they're going they're not going to drop him. And I think yes, he's not going to hold a title long, but unlike you know we we've talked about the comparison to Jinder Mahal, you know Jinder he dropped the belt and then he immediately pretty much went back to jobber status. Um, Evil's going to drop the belt. He's, he's not going to drop back down to mid-card. Like, he's going to be in that kind of top mix going forward, even if he's not, even if he never wins a title again, he's going to be one of those top guys in the top mix. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so let's see here. Next question from Reddit user Jamanis. He says, what do you think they're building to for the stadium show? Evil versus Naito, sure, but then? Question mark. So, yeah, so like we mentioned, there's going to be, you know, the, there's going to be a big conference probably by the time you guys are listening to this. Uh, the press conference will have happened. It's happening 4 a.m. Eastern 
time, and they're going to probably be announcing some of the big matches for this card. And since Naito did come out in Challenge Evil after the Sengoku Lord main event, I'm pretty sure that Evil vs. Naito is going to be one of the top matches for um, the Jingu Stadium show, Summer Struggle in uh, Jingu. So I'm pretty sure that will be what's th- what's there. Um, you know, Josh kind of laid out, you laid out, you know, your kind of what, what you think happens with the title picture after that. As far as what else they're building for the show, um, you know, they, they haven't had a clear erection for, for Shingo yet. Uh, there is Suzuki Nagata that they've been building up. Um, there's the Golden Aces Dangerous Techers match for the tag titles that they've been building up. Um, they're building up Hiromu and Taiji. So I feel like with this with the stadium show, it, it's going to be almost positioned like a, a like a Dominion should have been, where we're going to get a lot of big singles matches and big title matches. Yeah, man. Um, I mean, I couldn't put it any better than you. I don't disagree with you in any way. I think that all those different feuds and layouts are kind of in place. I think the one thing we're sort of waiting on is the big surprise from Okada. Uh, it's very clear that there's not a title direction for him or, you know, a, a big feud or program direction for him just yet. But we've got a long way to go. We've got a whole month to build. Same thing with Shingo. It kind of, and we'll talk about it, but it kind of seems like maybe they're building the Yoshihashi direction for him. But part of me feels like they're not doing that. And so we don't fully know just yet. So it remains to be seen, but all the other programs you, you, you laid out are exactly what's there. Uh, and unless there's some sort of surprise between now and then, like hypothetically, quote, unquote, a Jay White return or something of that nature, like, you know, we, we know the roster. We have them all working. We know what's going on. And it's going to be like a Dominion level show, like you mentioned. Yeah. Uh, so moving on to Reddit user PCN91 says, what are your thoughts about Liger ranting on commentary after the evil versus Hiromu match at the IWGP? He needs to do something about the interference in title matches. He said something along the lines of interference will keep happening in every title match unless the IWG put it, IWGP puts a stop to it. I'm wondering if it leads to a stipulation in the next title match where no interference is allowed, kind of similar to how Naito agreed to have a no interference in his rematch of Okada in Dominion 2016. Um, honestly, that's what I think it is leading to is a potential no seconds, no interference sort of match so we can figure out who the better man is. And from a storyline perspective, it makes a lot of sense given the history with Evil and Naito and Naito's initial title run. Um, and I love the idea that there are people on commentary appealing to the IWGP committee. We've been talking facetiously about the IWGP committee for years on this podcast. <laughs> and the fact that Liger is doing that as well kind of warms my heart. <laughs> Cause it's real, Josh. It's real. <laughs> <laughs> there really is a committee that is the international wrestling grand prix. <laughs> yeah. I think that would definitely add a, an interesting twist to the matchup. And yeah, I think it makes all the storyline sense that they did do something like that. Uh, next question from why did you do that, bro? He says, so where does Naito go if he presumably beats evil for the belts at Summer Struggle in Jingu? Real simple answer for you. 
the grade one climax. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much next on the docket after the after um, you know this summer struggle in Jingu. I think G one's gonna be pretty much the next thing. So yeah, he's gonna go in probably in the A block and end up you know being one of the top guys in that block. Uh, next question from uh, user on the Discord ZD. He said, "How does Young Boy hide his hatred for evil so well?" um and uh i just want to uh throw a big shout out and welcome to zd on the discord uh you know new new japan uh viewer and uh got a lot of good content and discussion going on the discord if you guys haven't jumped on the discord you definitely need to do it um my answer to this would be simply this i don't hate evil i don't i hate the idea of evil as the iwgp champion because he's not good enough to be the IWGP champion. That's it. Yeah. I, I didn't I didn't hate Evil as the IWGP tag team champion. I didn't even hate him when he was the never champion. I didn't hate him when he was beating guys in the G1. But I mean, I mean we've never really had like negative that much like we were never really negative on him like I mean, I've never been a big fan of him and I've always thrown that asterisk out there. Like, you know, we're writing his stuff I've never been a big fan of him at all. You know, I remember certain matches. Like I remember uh, the, the the first G one that we rated on this uh, show. He had a match with Michael Elgin that people really liked, and I just thought it was blah. And then last year, I think the one match that everyone loved was like his Ibushi match, and I just didn't think it was that good. Um, and I wasn't super high on his matches with Okada during the first G one and the fallout from it, but everyone else was. So I've never really been high on evil personally, but we did always like him as a character. We liked him coming out with the lights. We liked him, you know, we thought he's a good promo. Yeah. Like he's an entertaining guy. He has some solid points, but he's not an IWGP heavyweight champion. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I'm not going to hide that shit. <laughs> uh, next question from high. Oh, and you know what? There are some wrestlers that I really love. That I'd be saying the same shit if they did it for the I literally there are certain guys in New Japan that if they put the title on them I'd be doing the same shit. This is not a bias. This is about consistency and fair. Like it really is. Like, can you think of some guys? Let let real quick before we move on. I know the show might go long, but just super quick exercise. Who are some guys that are good that just don't deserve to have the title? Uh. Just think, just think of heavyweights. Yeah, just in general. I know one, for instance, like I love Hanma, especially before, pre-injury. But there's no fucking way you could ever put the title on him, and I loved him. Um, let's see. I mean, at this stage in their career, I mean, guys like Togi Makabe and Satoshi Kojima. I mean, I know they've held the title before, but I mean, if you're at this point. I love Goto, and I think Goto's a fantastic worker, but I'd probably kind of complain if you put the title on Goto at this point. Yeah, Goto's a Just from a kayfabe standpoint. Yeah. Um, I would love if Ishii actually won it, but I kind of think he never will. Uh, I guess I wouldn't complain if they put it on him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yoshihashi? I, yeah. Uh, and you know what? Yoshihashi, I think, to be completely honest... Yoshihashi has nowhere near the package or aesthetics or promo abilities of of Evil, but he is a better wrestler than better wrestler than Evil. 
Yeah, I think a lot of people, you know, hate on Yoshihashi, but he, he's, he's in-ring action. His in-ring is better than evil. Fuck evil. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but neither of them should be touching the IWGP title. Um, you know, I really, really like um, fucking – what's the guy from New Zealand? What's his name? Jay White? Or... No, the the other one from uh, the Folly Dojo. Uh, Tohanare. I love Tohanare. But he should not be the IWGP champion, at least not right now, for any reason. If they, if they, let's say, if they had suddenly decided to put a new coat of paint on him and gone with him, I would have been probably furious. You know, there's just a lot of guys on their roster that can't hold that belt, right? Especially, not, and that's what I'm kind of getting at. Yeah, especially because that that's the, and that's the way they booked it. <laughs> we didn't, yeah. we didn't book it this way. <laughs> we didn't book it this way. You know. <laughs> Now, if they had booked Evil as – like if they put him on a trajectory over, say, a six-month period or even – let's say – no, fuck that. Three months, two months, then maybe we're not having this conversation. But they didn't do that, did they? No. So anyways. Uh, uh, next question from Highest Fly Flow in the Discord. He says, why Naito? Why does Naito always get chopped to the top? This this was his booking all of last year and this is – and it's just that this year too. Wouldn't it be better at least give Evil some decent wins over guys like Ishii and then let Naito try the title? Well, I understand what you're saying, but unfortunately, Naito's just a victim to timing and circumstance. Uh, and here's the reason why. You cannot it doesn't I like there's no way if you're Gato that you're letting this man evil go into the G1 or to the dome as the champion. You just can't risk it. This is kind of a gamble, putting the belt on him and everything like that. But you're 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 risking too much if you go that way. So no, they uh, they gotta switch the title. Naito's the guy that they gotta switch the title onto. So they don't have time for him to have just like you know defenses and stuff before they let Naito try the title again. Like they just can't do it. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about the condition of his body and, you know, it's, you know, the, the hourglass is ticking on you know, what he can do in the ring. So they have to get their money's worth as him, you know, as a top guy and challenging and being a champion. You know, and um, let's just hypothetically assume that night that this was always the, the, the plan. Like maybe they did. Maybe they were going to screw Naito. Maybe they were going to go with evil back in March. <laughs> But they probably were going to put the the title back on Naito, say, you know, by Dominion time, and then the plan was to ha- give him a, a semi lengthy reign going into the Re- Wrestle Kingdom. You know, yeah, that's probably the idea. So it just kind of sucks. It's bad timing. Uh, next question here from uh, ZD again, Discord. He said this this might have been asked, but why is it Naito? has shown hardly any emotion the last few matches. Is he booked to act like that, or is he just over it? He looks like he could give two shits lately. Uh, Well, I think a lot of people kind of um, sort of, like, they think his um, tranquilo sort of, like, persona means he doesn't care. And to a degree, it does kind of mean that. But it doesn't mean that he is completely uh, 
unfeeling as to everything that's going on. It's almost like a persona or a front that he's putting on. Um, I know it didn't have a lot to do with this show, but I actually noticed the next night that he was a lot more fiery in the multi-man matches leading up to his interactions with evil. Like he was attacking evil a lot more and kind of like attacking him on the outside and everything like that. So that was sort of a different, uh, you know, attitude and persona as opposed to what we saw during their previous feud, the, you know, at dominion. Yeah. I, I think a lot of it, yeah, it is, you know, the whole, you know, tranquilo LIJ personality. But like you mentioned, I think now we're starting to see, some more fire and a little bit more nice is trying to lose his cool with evil. Part of it is the fact that I think he's going to win the title back and he's trying to draw heat because he's going to be the champion again. <laughs> I'm not even joking. I'm dead ass. <laughs> I'm dead ass. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Anyways, um, Next question is from Rich Latta. He said, is Gato in the middle of a horrible cocaine binge right now? Uh, I would say no. Uh, I, don't, I don't think so. That's inflammatory, <laughs> sir, to accuse this man of narcotics. Uh, Matt Seidel got kicked out of the country forever for just using a little bit of the marijuana. So, I mean, I don't think Gato's using coke, <laughs> to the best of my knowledge. How dare you, sir? <laughs> Uh, next question from NJPW Extension Danny. He said, uh, Dick Togo's reverse Agent 47 suit, Drip or Basura? I think it's Drip. Um, He's, he, look, he comes out there looking fresh. What the fuck is Basura? Is he talking about Agent 47? So Basura is trash in Spanish. Oh, you know, it's funny. It's like, I'm Hispanic, but I don't speak Spanish like at all. <laughs> So, like, I was like, what? Okay, anyways. um, You know, he needs to see a good tailor. That's all. Like, it's it's not a bad suit. It's okay. Uh, I mean, it's a white. Here's the thing. When you wear a white suit, right, it doesn't matter if it's a trash suit or the flyest white suit ever. You can't fucking wear the suit again. It's like a once-a-year type of deal. Maybe not even then because then you're the guy who wears the white fucking suit. You know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. You wear a black suit and you can wear it literally every day of the year. No one's going to notice. But you wear a white suit one time and everyone kind of knows. So whether that could be like literally like a $2,000 suit and it doesn't matter because of the fact that it's white, it is kind of Bazura. <laughs> <laughs> but um, what I noticed with it is that it's not a bad suit, but it's he needs to get it tailored because it's kind of big on him. Yeah, it's a little big, but I don't know. I'm digging the look. Bro, no, listen. I'm telling you. Like, I, I know I don't dress up very much lately ever since COVID started. Like, I'm not, like, things were already casual at work. Like, I don't have to, like, dress up. But, like, I spent a good portion of my life wearing suits. And so, like, I can tell you with 100% clarity, that is not a fitted suit. He needs to get that shit. He needs to go <laughs> to a good tailor. He needs to get it fitted. Uh, speaking of suits, by the way, this past weekend – um, I got a Brooks Brothers suit for eleven dollars at Goodwill. Wow. Yeah. So fuck y'all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Next question here from Kyle Martin. He says, are the both of your booking predictions completely up in the air, or do either of you have any sort of guesses as to where Gato is taking us with the main event scene? I'm just saying myself, it feels like long enough time has passed for Bull Club to implode or LIJ to formally disband. Uh, well, LIJ is not going to disband because of money. <laughs> uh, they're the highest selling merch. They're, they're the the biggest selling you know merch sellers in the company. Uh, so there might be a change of the roster, and there already has that has kind of already started, but they're not going to disband anytime soon. Bullet Club imploding, I could see that happening. Uh, it remains to be seen. I kind of already said what my booking of the main event scene was for the time being, though. Right, and I, I pretty much agree with you. Yeah, he drops it to Naito. Naito goes G1, goes to the Dome. Yeah, it, it, the, the the thing that we're just not sure on is who's next. And I think um, one thing is Japan has declared that they're going to try and alleviate their travel ban for some of these countries. So that might open things up for guys like, excuse me, like, uh, like Will Ospreay or Jay White or someone of that nature, you know. But that kind of remains to be seen. We don't know what the G1 is going to look like right now. Right. Uh, last question here from Rambone Slam Pick. He said, "Do you think Evil decided to ditch the skirt on his own, or did someone have to tell him he looked stupid in it?" I prefer the newest version of his look. I'll tell you what it was. He listened to this podcast. He heard our comparison of him to uh, Karma or Awesome Kong, and he was like, "Fuck, they're right," and that's why he ditched the skirt. The other thing too. We also complained about his work rate, and if you noticed. His work rate and his match structure was much better. And he's going to listen to this episode and realize, ah, oh, fuck, I'm not up to the level yet. And then the next time he defends a title against Naito, it's going to be even better. You're welcome. We are literally directing the entire trajectory of Evil's career. We are <laughs> saving this shit. <laughs> so, you know, you know that that is, you know, one theory. It, it is possible that Evil is listening. You know, Japan is actually, you know, one of the top countries listened to on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. But with the skirt... Bro, that man lived in... That man lived in America. He speaks English. He's hearing us right now. Literally. <laughs> but you know what I'm thinking about? So, you know, he had the pants on, right? He had the skirt over the pants, so why would he need that over the pants unless he was trying to hide something? I, I think he was ashamed of, of what was going down in, in that nether region. I, I, I think there might have been some sense oh coming out of there. There's He was trying to contain uh, something that's going down down there. I think he was trying to contain his, his non-manscaped lower region, if you know what I'm, you know what I'm saying. Jeremy, are you saying that this man evil was not groomed to the highest degree? I'm saying he was not using the lawnmower 3.0. <laughs> the Manscaped team spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created. If evil was using this thing originally, there would there would need there would need to be a skirt thing, and maybe that was the thing. He heard our show. He's like, man, these guys are always plugging Manscaped. It must be a great product. I'm not doing things right down there. That's why I got a skirt, you know, trying to conceal the scent and, and, and everything that's going on down there. And so I think evil, he went to manscaped.com. He used our promo code suplex. He got 20% off. He got free shipping. He took care of business and he was able to ditch the skirt. 
Yeah, man. Uh, this third generation trimmer features cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents. Manscaping, manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past. Um, you know, I fired up the lawnmower 3.0 this morning, and when I tell you it's premium, I mean it's top of the line. The battery will last up to 90 minutes. So you can take a longer shave, and the water-resistant technology allows you to groom in the shower as well. Yeah, so Lawnmower 3.0, Manscaped, a ton of great products for you guys to use. You can go to manscaped.com, type in our promo code SUPLEX, you get 20% off and free shipping. That's right, 20% off and free shipping by using our code SUPLEX at manscaped.com. You'd be a fool not to take advantage of this offer. <laughs> All right. So let's jump into uh, summer struggle here. So we had two nights, uh, July 26th, and then earlier this morning, July 27th. And one thing I noticed was a running theme here where we had a series of multi man uh, tags that correlated with the feuds and p- blow offs that we saw during the uh, Sengoku Lord here. So we didn't really go in depth. Um, and I don't think we should go in depth here, but I think there's some, uh, you know, we should go over the results and, and talk about some of the major talking points that are kind of developed out of these matches here. Yeah. So on July 26, we had uh, Risuke Taguchi, Satoshi Kojima, and Togi Makabe defeating Ishii, Toriyano, and Gabriel Kidd. Then we had Sonata and Shingo defeating Hiroki Goto and Yoshihashi. Then we had Doki and Suzuki defeating Yuji Nagata and Yuyamura. Desperado, Taichi, Kanemaru, and Zack Sabre Jr. defeating Tanahashi, Ibushi, Tenzan, and Master Wato. Then we had Chaos team of Okada and Sho defeating the Bull Club team of Gato and Yujiro Takahashi. In the main event this evening, we had Dick Togo, Evil, and Taichi Ishimori defeating Bushi, Hiromu, and Tetsuya Naito. On the 27th, we saw Taguchi, Kojima, Makabe, and uh, they defeated the team of Goto, Ishii, and Gabriel Kidd. Uh, second match of the night, LIJ, team of Bushi and Shingo defeated Toriyano and Yoshihashi. Uh, third match of the night, we saw Desperado and Minoru Suzuki defeat Yuji Nagata and Yuya Yamura. Uh, after that, we had the Golden Aces, Hiroshi Tanahashi, or I'm sorry, Hiroshi Tenzan and Master Wato. They defeated the team of Suzuki Goon, Doki, Taichi, Yoshinabu, Kanemaru, and Zack Sabre Jr. Fifth match of the night, we saw Gato and Yujiro Takahashi defeat uh, Okada and Sho. And then finally, in the main event, we saw the Bolt Club team of Dick Togo, Evil, and Taiji Ishimori defeat the LIJ team of Hiromu Takahashi, Sonata, and Tetsuya Naito. Yeah, so let's talk about some of the stories here real quick that are happening. You know, in the opening matches, real quick, uh, you know, Gabriel Kidd, he's been featured in matches with Makabe on the last three shows, and he's been fired up and, you know, getting in Makabe's face and, you know, really been taking it to Makabe. Yeah, that's kind of been the running theme there is every single time uh, Gabriel Kidd is in a match with Makabe, he has some sort of... Uh, chip on his shoulder, a point to prove he's out to kind of single out uh, Togi Makabe. And Makabe is working harder than usual, you know, to kind of put the kid over. You know, he's taking bumps, stiff shots, and, you know, doing whatever he can to kind of work with him and uh, kind of get him over. And, you know, I got to tell you, I think Gabriel Kidd is one of the guys that's gotten over with me quite a bit. Uh, no surprise. I don't think there really is a young line right now that, I mean, I can't remember. I can't remember that we've ever done the show and really been down on a young line. I think for a little bit, maybe on Suji, mm-hmm. very briefly. 
but it's pretty rare. I mean, these young lines are pretty, they're made to look good and they, they really deliver. Um, one thing of note in these matches, I really love the interactions between Tomohiro Ishii and Ryazuki Taguchi, <laughs> especially on the, I thought the July 27th match, the opening match between Taguchi, Kojima and Makabe against, uh, Goto, Ishii, and Gabriel Kidd was the match of the night. That's how good it was. I thought it was one of the best matches of the weekend, surprisingly. like, And I know it's like a nondescript six-man tag, you know, opener on a road to show, basically. But, dude, this match fucking ruled. Like, there was no rest holds. Everyone was on cue. There was no botches. And they were hitting each other fucking hard. And it was funny. And it was great. Uh, yeah, Taguchi dancing his way into the headlock was hilarious. What Taguchi's doing is he's basically emulating Satoru Sayama. So when Sayama had those famous matches in the past, especially with uh, Dynamite Kid, is he would start the match like kind of like in a fighter stance, like sort of backing up. And then what he was what he would do is he would throw a giant, uh, you know, crescent flying crescent kick to like kind of keep the person off of him to like sort of threaten them, you know. And Taguchi's sort of making fun of that, so he's like sort of doing his version of the of the Sayama shuffle, but then he's like throwing his ass out in there. <laughs> <laughs> so instead of throwing like a giant kick, he's throwing his ass out. And like it's it's like this story that's playing out between him and Ishii, which is awesome. But in this uh the seven twenty-seven match, Ishii and Kojima were lighting the fuck out of each other up with the chops. Like their chests were destroyed. Um yeah, I really, I really like the interactions with them. But overall, the big story here in these matches is really what's going on with Gabriel Kidd and Makabe. Yeah, and also with Ishii and Kojima, there was a spot on today's show where Ishii like barely got Kojima over for the power slam and like dropped Kojima right on his head. He he almost dropped him on his head. It was kind of scary. Yeah. yeah. Um. After that, so we had the tag team Sonata and Shingo taking on Goto and Yoshihashi. Uh, the next day we had Bushi and Shingo taking on Yano and Yoshihashi. So the kind of constants there is Shingo and Yoshihashi, which would lead me normally on paper to believe that Yoshihashi's in line to get a title shot. But there's nothing that's happening character-wise or in the story that actually leads me to believe that. Am I missing something? No. So um, Shingo, he actually pinned Yoshihashi on 726 with Made in Japan. That's what I thought. And then they lost the match again the second night. Um, this time it was Bushi that pinned Toriyano. So I would think if Yoshihashi was getting a title shot, either A, he would have gotten an upset win on Chingo one of these nights, or B, his partner on the first night would have gotten pinned and not Goto would have gotten pinned the first night and not him. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And here's one thing with that is um you know, last year, um, it was kind of surprising when um, – who was it that Bushi defeated? That uh, was surprising. Oh, it was Zack Sabre Jr. Yeah. So, you know, there have been quite a few moments over the past – you know, in the past where they've tried to keep Bushi strong, and he's one of the more popular performers. So it was kind of surprising seeing him uh, – roll up uh, Toriano on the 727 show, but in a way it kind of wasn't, just given all the shenanigans in the match. But at this point in time, um, going forward, I don't really know what to expect when it comes to Shingo. I mean, 
He doesn't really have a clear challenger. I'm guessing it probably won't be Yoshihashi unless something changes. Yeah, unless it's just like the most Yoshihashi way to build a title match. (laughs) (laughs) Him just being on a losing end and still getting a title match. I mean, like, you think back to, like, the U.S. title match he had with Kenny. Like, he did nothing to deserve that match with Kenny and still ended up getting it. So, you know, maybe this is their way of somehow getting him in the match with Chingo. Um, the third match of the night has seen um, Suzuki Goon teams taking on uh, Hantai slash Chaos teams. And one of the big stories here is the perspective feud between Minoru Suzuki and Yuji Nagata. Right. And so we've seen these in the tag matches, and these guys, nothing has changed. These guys have been killing each other since they've kind of reintroduced themselves to each other in the New Japan Cup. And it's been the same, you know, brawling, slapping forearm exchanges, seeing who is, you know, the tougher uh, murder grandpa. And these guys have been taking it to each other. And it's been great. It's been one of the best stuff on all these shows, their interactions and, you know, the promos. And, you know, Suzuki saying, you know, he wants to end uh, Muji Nagata. He wants to, you know, inflict pain on this man. So I'm thinking they're building to a big singles match in uh, Jingo Stadium. Yeah, I would love to see that. That was one of my favorite matches of the year, uh, as I've stated in the past. And, um, I think it's the best feud going in New Japan right now. Um, I mean, I guess you could probably say Evil and Naito, but like for me, as far as raw emotion that's being emoted on screen and physicality, nothing really matches Suzuki and Nagata, which is not something that I expect to be saying in 2020. <laughs> right. And, and a small little uh, story as well. You know, Yuyamura has been the one teaming with Nagata, and he's been trying to take it to Suzuki as well. And in his, yes. his backstage promos, he says he wants to face Suzuki in a singles match. So clearly he has a death wish. So. <laughs> um, fourth match from the top, we've been seeing um, Suzuki-Goon teams uh, take on also Hantai as well. Uh, the big feud there is the Golden Aces and the Dangerous Techers. One thing that's notable here is in the past when they feuded, we saw a lot of singles interaction between Hiroshi Tanahashi and Taichi versus on the opposite end, we saw a lot of interaction between um, Zack Sabre and uh, Kota Ibushi. Where, well, it seems like this month, as they're continuing the feud, things have kind of switched and we're seeing a lot of interactions between Taichi and Kota Ibushi. And, uh, you know, conversely to, you know, Zack Sabre and Hiroshi Tanahashi. Right, and one of the big stories now, and uh, we know Golden Aces, they've been asking for a rematch, but Dangerous Techers have been turning them down, and you know Tanahashi was saying, you know, all right, I'm tired of asking for a match. The only way we can get a match is by pinning Dangerous Techers and getting uh, and earning our title shot. So they're kind of built-in story. They're, they've been trying to pin um, either Tai Chi or Sabre in these multi-man matches to set up a title match down the line. Uh, they haven't been able to do that. In the first night, they actually lost. Uh, well, Sabre choked out Tenzon. But the second night, Kota Ibushi did get the win for the team. He hit the Kamigoye on Doki and got the win for the, for the team. Yeah, and there seems to be a bit of a story continuing with Master Wato. We saw him uh, in the past feud with uh, Doki, and then they kind of teased the feud with Kenamaru as well. Um and along with that, we've kind of gotten the team with with him and uh, Tenzon. And it's kind of interesting. In the past, we sort of speculated that maybe Tenkoji could potentially be in line for a title shot down the road, which if that were the case, I would think that they'd maybe be continuing to uh, 
team up Tenkozy and like prepare them, but it's pretty clear for the time being, for whatever reason, Tenzan sort of aligned with Wato and his, uh, you know, initial days here in New Japan. So I don't really know what that's leading to. Do you think we're going to get, uh, did we already get a Kanemaru and Wato match? We did not. They went straight to multi-man. So I think we're going to get Wato versus Kanemaru in the Jingu show in a singles match. And also something I realized that there's master heat here. So Kanemaru is the, the heel master. And obviously master Wato is master Wato. He's the grand master. So we're going to find out who the real master is when these two finally go one-on-one. Makes sense. Good, good logic. <laughs> Um, the fifth match of the night has uh, kind of seen Okada teaming with various uh, people, or actually in b- on both nights he wrestled with Sho to take on uh, Yujiro and was it Gato both times? Yeah, it's wow. Both. So so rematches. Yeah. Um, I was a I was kind of bummed to see Sho get defeated. Um, at all like uh. That I wasn't really happy about that, but I'm not really sure why they're doing this because Yujiro got beat by Okada already, and that was at the end of Sengoku Lord. Now we're in a whole new tour, and they're kind of continuing things. Um, so I don't know if this is just a holdover until Okada is ready to make his announcement for what he wants to do next. But watching these matches, there's no clear indication that we're going back to Ujiro or Okada or anything like that. Right. So on the first night, 726, Okada got the win using the money clip again on Ujiro. Uh, and then on the second night, Ujiro got the win, but he got it on show, like you mentioned, using the pimp juice. Um, so, yeah, I'm not sure where they're going there. I mean, maybe show ends up facing Ujiro down the line, but I, I, I think after this, Okada should be done with Yujiro. Um, obviously, he's not going to be done with Bullet Club in general because obviously they're the heels and they always keep screwing him over, but I, I don't see him facing Yujiro or Gato in a big match. And, uh, you know, a show, he got defeated as well during Sengoku Lord. He, he tapped out to the skull end, which I was disappointed by that. You know, it's not that I necessarily thought for sure he was going heavyweight or anything of that nature, but it's like, he got defeated by the skull and, and then now he's been defeated by the pimp juice. That's two pretty big losses in tag matches back to back. Obviously, he doesn't have a tag partner right now, so I don't know what's next for him. Um, I know someone that I know there's a job. Someone's got to do it. <laughs> but I'm like, you know, G1's not that far away. And I'm like, is he even going to, you know, at this rate, he's probably not going to be a viable candidate to be in it, you know, given these types of losses. Yeah. Um, and then finally, we have the main event feud. So Dick Togo, Evil, and Taiji Ishimori against Hiromu Sonata and Tetsuya Naito. And this is a rematch of what we saw during New Japan Road, and we've gotten it two more times in a row. Are you getting kind of tiresome of all the rematches or not really? Not yet. Uh, I mean, it's it's kind of, you know, especially this, these shows where it's back-to-back and there's literally only a, a few people interchanging these matches um, is a little rough, but at the same time, I'm kind of used to it because these are kind of the formulas for Road Two shows when you're you're building up to to a bigger show. Um, and here we did have so Bushi was in the main event the first night, and the second night he was interchanged with um, Sonata. Sonata. And obviously, both of these matches were about building up Taiji Ishimori. So he he pinned Bushi the first night using the Bloody Cross, 
In the second night, he tapped out Hiromu with the yes lock. And the big story in that second match is Hiromu was coming in with a shoulder injury. His shoulder got banged up over the last couple of shows. And um, there was a spot in this match where he was out on the floor. The doctor was checking on him while um, Naito and Sonata kind of had to fight, you know, three on two. And then eventually, you know, he got back in the match and tried to fight and help his team out. But then he uh, fell prey to the yes lock, which, you know, targets that shoulder area. And so he put it on the bad shoulder and he was forced to submit. So doing a great job of making Taiji look like a, a strong contender here. Yeah, I um, I thought that the Naito and Evil interactions have been pretty good, actually. Um, I'm not really clamoring for a rematch necessarily. Uh, I didn't love, obviously, the first match. <laughs> but um, I thought that Naito showed some good heat here in these matches and um the 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 real standout in a lot of this is ishimori uh they've done a great job kind of building him back up as a potential challenger like you mentioned he won the first night bloody cross second night yes lock and the story with there being an issue with the shoulder of Hiromu takahashi that really plays into you know kind of the plausible you know possibility that uh Ishimori can maybe beat him uh, down the line, you know, if he kind of focuses on that injury. So that's adding a lot of drama to the match, and I, I kind of like the direction they're going with that. Yeah, it's definitely going to build up some sympathy for whenever they have that big match, and it's probably going to be at the Jingu Stadium show. Um, post the match, um, Hiromu did, um, or excuse me, uh, Taiji did grab the mic and, um, you know, saying that he want, he challenged Hiromu and wants a title match. So I'm guessing that, you know, once the press conference happens that we are going to get, it's going to be announced that it's going to be um, Taiji Ishimori, um, you know, challenging Hiromu for Jingu um, Summer Struggle Show. Were you surprised to see Hiromu tap? Um, not quite. I mean, they did a great job of really selling how serious his shoulder injury is. He was out for majority of the match. Um and then, you know, the yes lock is a pretty, you know, dangerous submission. And usually whenever Taiji locks that in, he he wins immediately with that thing. And there's not many people who've escaped the yes lock when Taiji puts it on. So I wasn't surprised at all. Nice. But um, that pretty much does it. I mean, I don't have any further thoughts. We've done a lot of, you know, talking and speculating here. Yeah, so that wraps it up. There's going to be several more summer struggle shows to come in Corkin and you know, we'll be keeping you guys up to date on all those shows and on the build I, to this Jingu show. I think that's the big thing. Uh, you and I were talking about that earlier today. It's like there are a bunch of shows over the next month, but they have – and they've even added a couple Cork and Hall shows at the end of the month right before the Jingu Stadium show. But we don't actually even know what the full New Japan World schedule is, and I'm guessing – Probably the reason we don't know is because maybe they haven't fully decided yet because they've only announced a few shows over the next couple weeks that are actually going to be broadcast. And I'm guessing they're probably trying to figure out what the plan is for the rest of the month. Right. So, yeah, we'll we'll keep you guys updated on all that. I'm sure a lot of that will be um, talked about in the press conference that will be happening um, in a little bit, in a few hours here. Um, So And that's going to transition this into the news. So, yeah, we do have that big uh, press conference that will be coming up. And like we've been mentioning throughout the show, I'm sure a lot of the big matches will be announced on that press conference and kind of the plan for the rest of this tour. 
also something we got to talk about from the news. So uh, Tomioka Hanma and Yotosuji, they ended up missing Sengoku Lord and these first two nights of the Summer Struggle Tour as a precautionary measure due to uh, taping a television show with someone who later tested positive for COVID-19. Uh, it was noted that Hanma and Suji are both in good health and weren't in close contact with that person who tested positive. So just as an extra safety measure, they pulled uh, Hanma and Suji off of those shows. Uh, and the last thing here to mention in the news, so this is not New Japan related, but it is um, just you know Japan wrestling related, and it, it will kind of have some effect on New Japan at some um, extent. So uh, DDT and Pro Wrestling Noah will soon merge into one promotion. There was a press conference that was held um, to this morning to announce the merger of the two companies into one promotion, which will be called Cyber Fight. The promotion will be named after DDT and Noah's parent company, Cyber Agent. Changes will go into effect September 1st. Both promotions, as well as Tokyo Joshi Pro Wrestling and Gang Pro, will continue to operate as separate brands within the promotion. Uh, Senshiro Takagi, who recently took over as president of Pro Wrestling Noah in January, will serve as a president of the new promotion with Noah star uh, Marifuji and DDT star Akito serving as EVPs. In the press conference, Takagi stressed the entering content of both promotions will remain the same. And he said the, the move to merge the companies is a result of the COVID-19 pandemic and the need to streamline costs. And they also talked about wanting to do a Tokyo Dome show in the future. Yeah, so if um, there are fans out there that are worried about, like, what's the panda's name? Andreza? Uh, I think Andrea. so. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not really I, familiar with the DT. Those of you who are worried about the panda, you're still going to get the panda. It's not going away. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, you know, I think this was a long time, not a long time coming, but I mean, like, um, as I like to say, the handwriting was on the wall. <laughs> the moment that uh, CyberFight bought both of these companies, they start streaming on the same platform. It's pretty inevitable that it's like there's going to be a merger here. And I know that there's probably some pro elitists out there who – you know, on both sides of the fence who maybe don't want this. Maybe there's quite a few fans who are in favor of it, but uh, ultimately this is a, a big move in the world of Pro Rezu, and it could signal a big change in, you know, the way, say, Bushi Road feels about... Uh, I mean, they've already been pretty... Uh, exclusionary just in general over the past, you know, four or five years. Um, you know, they don't really work with outsiders since the whole thing with Noah happened in like 2014, 2015. But, um, yeah, I think it's going to be even more so now. Like this might be the start of a little bit of a war because I mean, cyber agents, a big, big company. And I mean, them investing in these two companies and merging them. I mean, that's real competition. So we'll see how that plays out. But, I think that Hokiomiya and Okada shit, that's not happening. Yeah, that's probably off the table now. <laughs> and the whole Not you know, that it ever was. Right. And you know, the whole idea of an all together type show is definitely gonna be a lot harder with uh, this merger happening. Yeah, all together. <laughs> it's not happening. <laughs> well, now we just have uh, some quick questions to kind of run through and then the recommended match of the week and then we can uh, head out of here. 
Um, so first we had a question from uh, Silver into Steel. Uh, just missed the deadline last week. I told him we'd get to it this week. He says um, he's super interested. Nah, uh, we're, we're, <laughs> no, if you miss the deadline, you miss the deadline. <laughs> that question goes out into the ethos. <laughs> Uh, it says, I'm just super interested in what's likely to happen with Bullet Club. Surely the group is now so large and bloated that there has to be some kind of dissension. Yeah, I think there will be. Yeah, you're absolutely right. There's, I mean, just in general, I think that in order for this group to make money, they need to be marketable. And I don't think with the way it's set up right now, it is marketable. You know, um, whatever they decide to do, one way or the other, they just need to figure out what the people want and give it to them. You know, I mean, I, I really don't know what the answer is here. I don't know if it needs to become an all Japanese group. That might really be something that resonates over there. Uh, it's worked for LIJ in, in general, or if they kind of split off and establish something with the Japanese guys and, you know, do something with Jay White and his crew and the Tongans. I, I don't really know what the right answer is here, but whatever they do, they need to try to make the most amount of money and do the best business with it that they possibly can. And I can tell you right now, an evil Kenta Jay White group with the Tongans and all and all the Japanese guys, that that doesn't sound like anything to me. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And yeah, the group does seem super bloated and I do think whenever we can get everybody back in Japan, there should probably be some kind of split between that group. I don't know how you want to do it, but like you said, whatever's going to make the most money and uh, be the most interesting. You know how, um, you know, back in the day, uh, people who thought that they're woke used to be like, I'm colorblind. I don't see color. Yeah. Well, I really didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and here's how I know I didn't. Um, Remember that time when Shawn Michaels kicked Booker T out of the NWO? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And he said, one of these things doesn't look like the rest. Yeah. And then he, and then he super kicked Booker, (laughs) bro. Never in a million years when I was a kid watching that, that was 2002. So I was probably, let's see, I was born 88. So 98. You're like, I was 14. Yeah. 12, 13, 14, something like that. Bro. Never did it cross my mind that they were kicking the black guy out of the group because he didn't look like them. <laughs> what what crossed my mind was the kayfabe of it. It's like, of course it was going to be Booker. He was never in the original NWO. Duh. <laughs> Big Show was. X-Pac was. <laughs> this is not a race thing. This is completely... <laughs> This is a kayfabe thing. But then when I got older and I rewatched that shit, I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> Sean's like, one of these things ain't like the other. And then he super kicked Booker. And I'm like, oh, that's fucked up. Well, maybe that'll happen with Bullet Club. You know, Evil will be like celebrating with Jay White and Kenta and be like, one of these things not like the other. Bow. <laughs> Everything is evil on Jay White. Also, I'm not surprised that it was Shawn Michaels who super cooked Booker T out of the group, given the fact that he's best friends with Triple H. Mm. Woke. We know how that rivalry went. <laughs> we know how that went. <laughs> uh, so moving on, um, question from Reddit user Hawaiian Punch BV. Uh, it says, Tension Nasus Kakawa recently mentioned that Okada and Kiyomiya in an interview 
Uh, If he was interested, would you like to see him compete in New Japan? He could potentially bring in new eyes to the product with his stardom. I know he's only really he's on the really small side, but when you throw rolling thunder kicks like he does, who really cares? So what do you think, Jeremy? Oh, tension. Nasakua wants to fight these guys. I guess so. Wait. Oh, okay, bro. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, you know what's funny is like, I didn't know who that was for a second. Uh, so, Tension said he wants to fight Okada or Kiyomiya in an interview. Is that correct? Yes, that's what it sounds like. And he wants to compete in New Japan. Okay. Um, bro, I didn't know who that was because I was racking my mind and I'm like, who. I don't know any like top wrestlers anywhere. I thought it was like, man, maybe he was like one of those. Uh, um, what was Muda's group that just disbanded? Um, Alt or not Big Japan, but fucking. I don't know. There's too many Japanese promotions. Yeah, I know. I'm blanking on the name right now. God, what's wrong with us? <laughs> but yeah, I was like, maybe he was one of those guys, or is he a freelancer? Bro, I know who the fuck Tension is. Tension is a uh, risen bantamweight champion. Like, he's – and a kickboxer. Like, he fought uh, Floyd Mayweather in risen in a boxing fight. Like, he's one of the best kickbox. Like, yeah, he's like the number two kickboxer in the world. <laughs> <laughs> he's not a pro wrestler at all. Um, yeah, and he's tiny, bro. He's five foot five. He's like 126 pounds. Like, um. I don't think he can pro wrestle. I mean, if he can pro wrestle, I don't, I, I don't see anything about it at all. Um, and maybe that's what Okada is going to, you know, talk about. Maybe that's what he wants to do. I don't know. Yeah. And, uh, the, as a, a part of the question, he Hawaiian punch BB said, uh, he's been watching some Victor Zangief re- recently, whenever quarantine hopefully ends, would you be interested if new Japan brings in a couple of, Dagestani wrestlers and see if they can make the tradition to pro- transition to pro wrestling because they all can't be badass MMA fires. Bring back Enochism or Inochism, as the young boy would say it. I don't give a fuck if I say Inochism. <laughs> <laughs> it's Inochism. Anyways, um, yeah, so I mean, both these questions are very Inochism based. He's talking about bringing in like one of the top flyweight kickboxers and MMA fighters in the world, you know, to fight the ace of two different companies. Um, and then, yeah, I love Victor Zangief, but here, here's my whole thing. is like I'm all in favor for bringing in guys to do pro wrestling if they can pro wrestle. And I'm not opposed to them incorporating their MMA. Volkan and Kiyoshi Tamura are two of my favorite pro wrestlers, quote unquote, but they're like incredible shoot style guys. If you can bring in someone who can do that shit, then I'm fine with it. You know, uh, Kazushi Sakuraba was awesome, but if it's gonna be like that, Daniel Gracie or Holes Gracie uh, in New Japan, then nah, I'm not really with that. If it's gonna be like Don Fry or Mark, Mark Coleman or you know those guys, like as much as I love them, like nah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. If you're bringing an MMA fighter, they need need to need to work. <laughs> But, you know, uh, they did have some really awesome Eastern European guys back in the day 
that Inoki scouted and brought in, they didn't last long term, but like Victor's and Geef rules. So, yeah. Nice. Uh, next question from Ready to Viking Pain. Did you guys get a chance to listen to Anders and Gal, Gal shoot from their podcast last week? Any thoughts on it? Also, if the Good Brothers pretty much confirmed to be coming back to New Japan, where would you guys rank them in the tag division? And do you guys think Carl Anderson will get more of a singles run this time around? Perhaps Carl Anderson for the G1. I haven't listened to their podcasts at all. Um, have you, Jeremy? I have not. I've only kind of heard the recaps from various podcasts and various posts that I've seen. Um, it, you know, it was just, it's one of those things where they they knew they were unhappy in WWE. They got flashed the dollar signs. Uh, you know, they, they told their friends, the Young Bucks, that they were leaving. They were going to plan to be on the first episode of Dynamite, and, but they decided to go with the money. Um, they, they wanted to make the most money they possibly could, and um, that's what happened there. And, yeah, they were planning to come back to New Japan as well um, and work New Japan and AEW. And, yeah, so it's just interesting stuff. I mean, it kind of, I don't know, just knowing those guys, I, I figured, you know, they were more, they were, they were seeking the dollar signs. You knew that they were unhappy and they weren't really being pushed well. Um, when they come back, they'll win the IWGP Tag Team Champions again because there's not a division, so they're going to win that shit again. Um, so they'll be one of the top tag teams in the in the company, regardless of GOD. The other thing is um, Carl Anderson will probably get a singles push, you know? Um, you have to strike when the iron's hot, and we're in a time where, you know... COVID has happened. There's a lot that has changed. You know, it's just not the same New Japan right now. And so that's going to create a lot of opportunity for guys when they do eventually make their way over to Japan. The only thing is, with a guy like Carl, he lives in Florida. He doesn't live in Japan. And so travel restrictions have to be lifted. He's not like Juice or one of those guys who's going to go there and stay there. You know? Right. He's going to be going back and forth doing it for impact. Right, so that's the only way that this works for him. Um, my biggest problem with what happened with those guys is when they left WWE, when they were getting ready to leave WWE, they were given a speech by Triple H where he said, "When I see you, I see your kids, and you know, you take this risk. You don't know if AEW is always going to be around. We're a family here, and we're always going to be here. Think of their future and." The problem I have with it isn't – it's basically just that like a few years ago, me and Jeremy had some issues and I was going to leave for a different network. And that's the exact same speech that Jeremy gave to me. <laughs> and that's how he wrote me into this fucking long contract that I'm stuck doing this show with him. And um, I just want to understand like how did you and Triple H both have the exact same speech prepared? Because – and why did it work on me when I don't even have kids? Why was I thinking of their future – I don't. I don't understand. I was thinking you're thinking about your future kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, it worked, and now I'm here doing the show with you. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna go over to Brainbuster Radio, and it didn't. Huh. I guess you were right about it not lasting. Next question from Ready's Are we going to get blocked on Twitter again or something? Is that what? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we're going to get some heat from that one. Um, 
Reddit user Grunty Dodds, do you think there will be an exploding death match on the final night of the Summer Struggles tour? This sounds ridiculous to me, but this theory seems to be getting some traction on here on Reddit. What say you? It does sound ridiculous, but we don't know what it is, so that's the best guess we could possibly put out there. I don't know for sure that's what it's going to be, but I mean, what else could it be? <laughs> right. Um, and similar question from uh, Sir Sam. He says, who are we putting in a no-rope barbar landmine exploding death match? Just for old time's sake. Ooh, so let's take Okada out of the equation entirely. Let's say you were going to just book that match with all, and let's say all the personalities in New Japan at your disposal. Let's say there's no COVID. Who would you want to see in a, you know, whatever this match, a barbed wire landmine exploding death match? Who are the two guys you'd want? Suzuki and Nagata. Fuck, bro. <laughs> Why are you trying to kill two legends? <laughs> well, Suzuki wants to kill this man, so. Oh, man. I like to put wrestlers who wear clothes in those types of matches. <laughs> Unless those dudes are showing up in their street clothes, like, I don't want that to happen. Like, <laughs> can't have them going out there in their trunks and, you know, Nagata does, or Suzuki don't even wear knee pads, bro. Like, <laughs> you're, you're trying to protect this man's knees. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> I I literally don't know who I'd want to um you know I actually saw Despy have a really great death match with uh June Kasai uh last year when he got his jaw broken. Yeah. So I know he can do that shit. Uh is there anyone else? Uh Hiromu. Oh, that's the match. Hiromu versus Desperado in a double mine exploding time bomb death hell <laughs> Death bomb barbed wire life match for the junior title for the junior title <laughs> for the prestigious IWGP junior heavyweight championship. Oh my gosh! Um, but you know those guys have so much history, though that would actually work. They could pull it off, and they're both really fucking crazy. <laughs> That's the match, bro. Book it. <laughs> Uh, uh, last question here from Reddit user Wiz Factor. Fun question. While a dojo system is considered to be very tough for young boys, how do you think the three dojos rank from easiest to toughest to train in? You know, we literally don't know. Um, I think that there's probably some inclination to go LA dojo, New Japan dojo, and then New Zealand, but we literally don't know. I mean, I saw a picture of Fale recently. That man's looking trim. I don't know, bro. Like, who knows what kind of fucking hell Folly puts his, you know, trainees through. <laughs> right. And, I don't know. And with the Folly Dojo being so recent, we really haven't seen many, you know, people that have come out of that dojo be in New Japan. So it's really hard to tell how the wrestling training is being done there. Obviously, we've seen what the LA Dojo has done. We've seen what the New Japan Dojo has done. Well, part of the thing is, like, with the L.A. dojo, the only, like, real proof that I have as to the toughness of it is those California Dreaming um, documentaries that they did, which really peeled back the curtain a bit. But, like, they're pretty secretive about the New Japan dojo. So it's like, I could guess, but I don't know, man. I mean, look at look at Suji and Yuimura. Like, I have no clue, bro. I mean, I literally... Yeah. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not even going to take a guess here because I don't know. And you, you look at Oka and Narita and Umino and 
there's a lot of great guys that have come out the New Japan Dojo recently as well. Yes. Yeah, hey, you know, I read somewhere today, nothing that's credible, just something I read, though. I'm just going to throw it out there. I read today that the real reason they let go of Kitamura is because he had ties to the Yakuza. Hmm. And the plot thickens. <laughs> beep, 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 beep. <laughs> Kitamura watched 2020. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um. Yeah, I'm not going to take a guess on this question. I think it's a great question, but we literally just don't know enough. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's so hard. I mean, both New Japan Dojo and LA Dojo have, have been producing great talent. And like we said, it's hard to really judge the Fall A Dojo because we haven't really seen anything out of that just yet. Yeah. So that's going to do it. Thank you guys for your questions, and thank you for uh, tuning in and listening. And uh, let's go to the recommended match of the week. Yep, so last week, your pick was the Steiner Brothers versus Big, Bad, and Dangerous, which is a team of Bam Bam Bigelow and Big Van Vader. And this match was awesome. Uh, this, just like you mentioned, four big guys, four meaty men slapping meat, clothes on each other, suplexing each other, the crowd freaking losing their mind for this match. Dude, Vader and Bigelow run the ropes before the match, and the crowd is losing their mind with these guys just running the ropes. This crowd was so freaking amped for this match. The bell rings. They're going insane. These guys are working so hard. Bam Bam is, you know, throwing out enziguris all over the place, doing uh, a lot of big splashes and moves. Uh, Scott Steiner is doing some crazy lariats. Vader was so stiff in this match and just... Killing these guys with uh, clubbering forearms and strikes. Uh, There's a spot where Rick Steiner does a, a beautiful backdrop to Vader, and it was I popped like crazy. And so the crowd, he followed up with a German to Vader, which was an awesome visual. Um, There's a spot where Scott Steiner spikes Vader on his head with a Frankensteiner, which was awesome. And yeah, both of these teams just going back and forth. Great suplexes, great lariats, great strikes, great crowd heat. Fast work rate, cool moves. This is 1992, people. This was a really good match. Yeah, man. And you're talking about heavyweights and super heavyweights. It's kind of fucking crazy. One thing I love about it is, like, there's a moment where, like, Scott gets the better, like, the upper hand of, like, Bam Bam. So you think Bam Bam is going to get out of there. But instead, Bam Bam answers with the enziguri. And you're like, what? (laughs) Right. (laughs) And then there's, like, a moment where, like, the Steiners are in the middle of their shine and then they get cut off by big, bad and dangerous. So you think, and they roll out. So they're like, they're going to like take a uh, reprieve, you know, and kind of like powder out. And instead they go to the top rope and throw shoulder tackles. And you're like, what? (laughs) So there's like, there's a lot of tropes that like are pretty common in tag team wrestling that these guys kind of play off of, but then they turn on their heads and they continue to work on top of it. It reminded me a lot of, um, sort of those revival American alpha sort of sequences that were similar to this. Mm, yeah. That's a good, good comparison. But, um, bro, how over was big Van Vader with the crowd? Like it was crazy. Dude, all four of these guys were over huge with the crowd. Yeah. The only, the only real detraction I have for the match is that it just, uh, at the end, there's a pretty lengthy heat segment. And then suddenly the faces get the hot tag, and then it kind of just ends abruptly. 
But at the same time, you're you're talking about like two main event caliber talents and big, bad, and dangerous, and they kind of need to be protected. So they sort of just got rolled up at the end, right? But it didn't like hurt anything too badly. And like honestly, bro, in 2020, I'd still go four stars in this match. I don't see how anyone goes three and a half on this shit. Like it's crazy. Like I thought this match was vastly better than everything that I saw this past weekend from New Japan Pro Wrestling. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm like, yeah, 3.75, four stars in that range. Great matchup. And, yeah, this this holds up to uh, 2020 standards. Now, for the recommended match of the week, we've talked about it. We've mentioned it several times throughout this show. The recommended match this week is the no-rope, explosive, barbed wire Barricade explosive line man line landmine double hell death match. Great Nita versus the Great Muta, August twenty eighth, nineteen ninety nine, NJPW Jingu Climax. Bro, did you watch this shit? I did. Oh my god, why are you making <laughs> me watch this shit? You know it's not good. <laughs> it's not good, right? Yeah, it's. I haven't watched it in years, but I'm pretty sure that none of those – the Onita-Chono match is not good, and neither is this Muda match. Am I wrong? I mean, look, it's it's not, you know, a work-rate classic. So the reason I, <laughs> I picked this match is, A, obviously when people think about the, the history of New Japan Jingu, this match comes up a lot. We're getting ready for the Jingu Stadium show next month. Um, this was the main event of the show. It's an explosive, you know, death match. We don't really see that in New Japan nowadays. And so just thought be, why, why the heck, you know, it, it's worth watching and experiencing it. Yeah, I'm down. We'll watch it. I mean, you know, I'm a I'm a mark for the FMW stuff, so I, I'm fine. It's just I know like I just know that this isn't good. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 it's, and it's a great visual, too, of how the ring and the stadium was set up for that that stadium show as well. I like the earlier stuff on that show when it's daylight out because that's like almost a more um, compelling visual versus like in the nighttime. Like it is cool, but it's also nighttime, so it's harder to tell that it's outdoors. But like the early the early show stuff, like you can really tell and it's really cool. Well, but uh, all the early show stuff is not on World. Like I, they they have like four or five matches on there, which are all like during the night for the most part, the nighttime. I think there's a match between um, Chono and Hashimoto, right? Yeah, it's a semi-main. I watched all the matches from this show. Oh, did you? Yeah. Was that match good? I don't know. I can't remember if it's good or not. It was so-so. I expected more. Oh, speaking of which, before we go, the rec- or not the recommended match of the week, but the free match of the week provided by uh, New Japan World is... The G1 Climax final between uh, Kiji Muto, a.k.a. the group Great Muda, and Masahiro Chono. Do yourself a favor and watch that shit while it's free because it's one of the greatest. It's still one of the top ten G1 Climax finals of all time. Well, and that's going to wrap things up for this week. So next week we'll be back to talk about all the big news from the press conference and results from the upcoming summer struggle shows on this tour so if you enjoyed today's show please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com and slash donate and click on the donate button under the keeping it strong style logo you connect with the show on social media on twitter we're at ki strong style 
Also follow us at Social Suplex. I'm at Jeremy L. Donovan. On Facebook, we are Facebook.com slash Social Suplex. Also find us in the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group, Facebook.com slash groups slash Wrestling Squared Circle. On Instagram, we are at Social Suplex. On Reddit, I'm the Pro Black Guy. Y'all just keeping it strong style. You can email me, Jeremy at SocialSuplex.com. Check out our Discord server. The link for it is in the description of this show. And check out all the other shows here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. On Sundays, we have One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. On Wednesdays, we have the Ricky and Clyde Wrestling Show from Scotland. Every other Wednesday, we have our podcast dedicated to independent wrestling. Grown Men Watch This Shit, hosted by Jeremy Tate and Chris Bryan. On Fridays, we have Get In The Ring with Danny and Beast Mike. On Saturdays, we have All Things Elite with Floyd and Austin. So don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating and review, and we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. It's Yvonne. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.